0: All right, this is Commission President Sam Cho convening the regular meeting of August 8th, 2023. The time is 1030 a.m. We are meeting in person today at the Port of Seattle headquarters building Commission Chambers and virtually via Microsoft Teams. Present with me today are Commissioners fellowmen Hazagawa, and Mohammed who are currently gathered in the executive session room awaiting the opening of the public meeting. Commissioner Calkins is absent and excused from this meeting. Commissioner Mohammed is recused from participating in a portion of the session today. We'll now recess into executive session to discuss one item regarding litigation and or potential litigation or legal risk per RCW 42.30.110 sub 1 sub i for approximately 30 minutes. And separately, one item regarding litigation and or legal risk per RCW 42.30.110 sub 1 sub i and performance of a public employee per RCW 42.30.11 sub 1 sub g for approximately 20 minutes, and we'll reconvene into public session at noon sharp. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, we are now in recess.
0: Good afternoon. This is Commission President Sam Cho reconvening the regular meeting of August 8th, 2023. The time is 12.08 p.m. Apologize for being a little late today. We're meeting in person today at the Port of Seattle headquarters building, commission chambers. Uh, Deputy Clerk Payne will call the roll of uh, commissioners in attendance today.
1: Thank you. First, Commissioner Cho. Present. Uh, Commissioner Fellman. Present. Uh, Commissioner Hasegawa. Present. And Commissioner Mohammed. Present. You do have a quorum.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much. A few housekeeping items before we begin. For everyone in the room today, please turn your cell phones to silent. For anyone participating on Microsoft Teams, please mute your speakers when not actively speaking or presenting. Please keep your cameras off unless you are a member of the Commission or Executive Director participant virtually or you are a member of the staff in a presentation you are actively addressing the Commission. Members of the public addressing the commission during the public comment may turn on their rules when their name is called to speak and will turn them back off again at the conclusion of their remarks. For anyone at the dais here today, please turn off the speakers on any computers and silence your devices. Please also remember to address your request to be recognized to speak through the chair and to wait to speak until you have been recognized. You will turn on your microphones on and off as needed. All of the items noted here will ensure smoother meetings, so I thank you in advance. All votes today will be taken by roll call methods so that it's clear for anyone participating virtually how votes are cast. Commissioners will say aye or nay when their name is called. We are meeting on the ancestral lands and waters of the Coast Salish people with whom we share a commitment to steward these natural resources for, for future generations. This meeting is being digitally recorded and may be viewed or heard at any time on the port's website and may may be rebroadcasted by King County Television The first item of business today is approval of the agenda. As a reminder, if a commissioner wishes to comment for or against an item on the consent agenda, it is not necessary to pull the item. Rather, a commissioner may offer supporting or opposing comments once the motion to approve the consent agenda is on the floor and before the vote is taken. However, if a commissioner wants to to ask questions of staff or wishes to have a dialogue on a consent agenda item, it is appropriate to request the item to be pulled for separate discussion. Are there any items to be pulled from the consent agenda or motions
4: to rearrange the orders of the day? Yes, Commissioner Feldman. I'd like to just ask a question about item 8E. 8E.
0: Okay, so we will uh, table that one. Uh, actually, we will uh, go ahead and uh, vote on it and then you can ask your question afterwards. Uh, I'll remark that. I have a question no. on item 8C. Okay. I'm going to ask it afterwards. Okay. You say 8C, mm-hmm. okay. Any others?
5: commissioner Jeff? yes I think item 8e should be pulled before the vote the discussion should happen before the vote
0: um, so clerk I think we can if we're just asking questions are we uh, do we need to pull it oh you're
4: asking questions not just making comments right I, I'd support Commissioner okay ha- Mohammed's uh, request to pull it instead of just asking a question if that's what you prefer okay and then Commissioner Hazegawa, are
0: do you have questions or just comments regarding
4: 8c
5: question
0: okay so then now then we have a motion to move 8c and ae is there a first and a second
4: so moved second
0: great so the motion on the floor is to amend the consent agenda to remove 8C and ae and vote on a b and d do i have a first and a second
5: so moved
6: second i guess we'll take a roll call vote
1: okay um um, Commissioner Fellman? Hey. Um Commissioner Hasegawa? Aye. Uh, Commissioner Mohammed, Aye. And Commissioner Cho? Aye. We have four ayes and zero nays.
0: Great. So we have just approved 8A, 8B, and 8D on the consent agenda. We will now go to 8C and turn it over to Steve Metrick and uh, Tush, since, uh, uh, Commissioner Toshika Hasegawa for questions. But first, Steve, go ahead and introduce the item real quick. Yeah. sorry Chris, just going quickly here so item 8c 8, 8c yes yeah, yeah. So,
2: you
7: no, know, literally it, it, this is the uh, the monthly notification of prior executive director delegation a- actions and so i guess this is uh, a non-report for this month uh, i mm-hmm. guess basically uh it, it's supposed to buy the uh, transparency for the delegation of, res- of responsibility and authority uh, that are delegated to me under the action to do that, and there are no approvals that I approve for this month of uh, July.
5: Right. Um,
2: my only question on it was: uh, Does it need to be on consent if there's nothing? If on to in the negative to report, a negative report. report? I take that. I,
7: I take that, Commissioner, and we'll, we'll we'll take a look at that. If there's nothing, then what are you voting on? We're right? not acting.
2: There's, there's no, no voting. Required, so I think. Right. I think.
7: I'm gonna make. uh, I think we should remove it. Then it's removed. Um, Yeah, and do that. Yeah, and
0: perhaps. Yeah, yeah. So no implications for us. Is that correct?
8: Correct.
1: Yes, I think. Is it okay? Okay. Yes, we can. I tried asking before the
2: (laughs) meeting, and nobody. I'm sorry about that, Commissioner. No, I think that's clarified. (laughs) All right. Thank you.
0: All right. Great. And then we'll move on to AE. All right. Item AE for Mr. Cruz. Uh, Steve, if you want to quickly give us a synopsis, and then we'll I let Commissioner Feldman ask his questions.
1: Sure. Should I? Re- I'll read into the record first, Commissioner yeah. Joe. Uh, authorization for the executive director to execute a contract for two new cruise passenger secondary gangways for the Smith Cove cruise terminal at Pier 91 in the amount of eight million seven hundred thousand dollars of a total estimated project cost of nine million dollars
7: Commissioners, our existing cruise ship cruise passenger gangways at Terminal 91 are near the end of their useful life. Procuring two new gangways will improve safety, accessibility, and and cruise passenger vessel embarkment and
3: dis-
7: <coughs> disembarkment experience. It's uh, uh, experience. It'll also provide us with the ability to continue operations in the case of the gangway going out of service, and to answer questions. Uh, we have Marie Ellingson. I don't, I don't know if she's on virtually, and uh, Tim Leonard, uh, the capital project manager, and Marie. So, are you there, Tim? I see you, Tim, and I see Marie. Very good. Excellent. So, com- for Commissioner Feldman, go ahead and ask
0: your questions.
4: Well, actually, Commissioner Mohammed wanted this item pulled. So, do you want to go first? I I just had a question about. um, So, really, mostly about the accounting for it. But um, I guess I'm addressing. Drawing my attention down here. Uh, First of all, does 66 have two gateways, uh, gangways? Yes, it does. Okay, and it seems to me certainly with the larger ships, it only makes sense. And you say that the um, this provides increased actually flexibility for the shore power, which is a separate item for being able to access uh, ships of different sizes and stuff. <clears throat> what my question had to do with was the, um, that it says this project will be funded by the general fund, whereas the, the uh, item with the shore power, which I kind of thought these would be presented together, um, says it's from like uh, the cruise budget. And, and this is just something I bring up all the time in that just you know cruises are brightest light in the maritime budget um, but I, I you know those things that are associated with operations versus capital are kept apart so when when asked when I keep on asking it what is the net profitability of cruise at the end of the year um, these sort of investments are not part of that calculation it's a, a lucrative revenue generator, but it costs money to make money. And so I just think that the net result should be presented as the nature of the cruise. Now, clearly, we have lease obligations to maintain our berths, vendoring, and things like that is part of that. Increasing the capacity to handle um, additional gangways, stuff like this to me would be seen as, uh, while important, potentially something we would share with the uh, cruise operator. Um, and if we're just going to absorb it, then I just am talking about how it would be accounted for.
0: Is there a question?
9: So, Commissioner, I understand that um, Kelly Zupan just came to the okay. chambers there. And I think he was going to address this question.
8: Yes,
7: thank you. Yeah, Kelly, do you want to join us? But let me just say, in, in general, Commissioner, that, you know, as we look at, I uh, hear your question is more about uh, uh, how do you account for it and to reflect on it, and I think Kelly can talk about that as we roll them in. I mean, we don't have separate funds to pay for separate uh, items, but I'll let Kelly address that.
10: Uh, yes, Commissioner. We we typically account for it in the depreciation line, and we look at that when we go through the budget with you, we, we look at that um, overall as well, we don't look at it as much on the to date numbers because um, especially with crews because the revenue is very cyclical i mean it hits mostly in july and august but we do have that in budget numbers and we look at it that way And it still clears profit even including the depreciation costs but obviously there's a big chunk of it i don't have that number right off hand but um, we do have that and when we go through the budget presentation with you in october we will display it as the overall for all of the business lines we'll do, we will display that overall profitability for you as well
4: i, I guess that was my question Doesn't how it's broken down by business line because you know we do things like we increase the water main we do other things to accommodate this burgeoning business i'm just saying at the at the end of the day for that given year there's revenue and there's expense and i i rarely see this represented as the net profitability of crews Yes. You know, so if it's amortized, you know, depreciated, whatever. If it's a nine million dollar project over a twenty year period of time, we can knock off whatever four hundred and fifty thousand, whatever it is, uh, per year as an expense towards the net revenue.
10: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I don't understand the question of when you want us to show this, we do do it, like I said, every year during the budget season. Um, We we talk about it. Yeah,
7: let me jump in. Commissioner, we can actually do that kind of roll-up for top. What I hear is not just on this one, but in general, right, of all those things. As as for each
4: business line, because it's characterized differently for the shore power. You know, and so it says specifically for shore power, you know, cruise line business. And so, like, you know, at the end of the year we said, Oh, we had an additional four million dollars or something from cruise to go into workforce development, which is a good thing, but to be able to say that came from cruise, that means that we understand what the expenses other expenses from crews were to know what the Delta was that we yeah. re, because to me we should be reinvesting crews into cruise first right so those expenses should be covering uh, those revenues should be covering the maintenance and operation of crews anything left over from that it's like a general fund kind of a question
7: and that's a general well I think of going back to that one specific case I think we were looking at during the actual uh during the actual budget we were executing that as as significant probably uh, probably wouldn't return to that all the time but i think there was that was a specific case but i hear your question about that reflecting what those uh um you know what those it it really it's the cash flow of what it what it comes out to and how um the expenses against those individual things so we can cover that in the uh, in the budget briefing when we go forward
0: Great, thank you very much. Thanks, Kai. I appreciate you coming up and uh, answering those questions. I went a little out of order here. Uh, we're actually going to vote on the consent agenda later in the agenda. Right now, where the question is approval of the agenda. Is there a motion to approve the agenda as amended?
5: So moved.
0: Great. Second, I thought we did that. Yeah, sorry. yeah, I thought so too. The motion has been made and seconded. Is there any objection to the approval of the agenda as amended? Hearing none, the agenda is approved as amended. We have no special orders for today, so then we'll move on to the Executive Director's report. Executive Director Metric. No additional
5: questions, but we're going to go back to
0: it. Yeah, consent is after public comment, so we'll come back to consent agenda afterwards. Sorry, that's my fault.
7: Commissioners, uh, good afternoon. I hope everyone had a great weekend and that you were able to enjoy at least some of the seafare in uh, Seattle Fleet Week last week uh if you just give me a moment of privilege i just want to reflect because actually this august 4th last friday Uh, was meaningful for me because it was 45 years ago on last Friday where I was on a vessel docked at Pier 70 um, 45 years ago last Friday on August 4th so I was five years old and uh, and I don't know how they got me in the Coast Guard then but anyway but it was just looking back there you know but it just came full circle for me last Friday looking at that when we had the archive of where ships were docked at that time and reflecting back on that time only four five years ago and and coming full circle here Uh, as I've said before an honor to be here at the Port of Seattle to do that so and just thanks for that uh, just a moment of reflection on that Uh, and last week's celebration you know it also was remind me of Fleet Week um, and uh, the seafarer celebration included a number of port related highlights here at the port the parade of naval and Coast Guard vessels from the US and Canada was enjoyed by hundreds from pier 62 viewpoint and included a US Coast Guard search and demonstration featuring a water uh, helicopter water rescue which uh, I'm sure was much better than the Blue Angels so let me just say that but and then a, a naturalization ceremony for 21 citizenship uh, candidates at Pier 66 where Commissioner Cho provided some inspirational words along with uh, Rear Admiral Fossey, the newly installed Coast Guard uh, District 13 commander uh, and then uh, Commissioner Calkins also joined the students from Aviation High School and the Blue Angels at Boeing Field also last week. and for the first time the fleet gathered at terminal 46 to welcome the general public in fact nearly 4,600 community members had the opportunity to meet sailors tour the vessels and also see exhibits including the uh, ILWU I believe had an exhibit there along on on 46 along with other um, programs and my special thanks to the Northwest Seaport Alliance for their collaboration on this effort and to everyone on our team that worked to make these events happen and as many of you know uh, Commissioner, Seattle is also in the midst of hosting the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Senior Officials and Ministerial Meetings. APEC is a regional economic f- forum established in 1989 to leverage the growing interdependence of, Asia, of the Asia-Pacific region. APEC's 21 member economies, including the United States, aim to create greater prosperity for the people of the region by promoting balanced, inclusive, sustainable, innovative, and secure growth, as well as by accelerating regional economic integration. As the Trans-Pacific Gateway for People and Goods, the Port of Seattle is particularly attuned to the importance of these relationships, and so we're excited to be playing a major role in hosting this year's meetings. From facilitating international rivals at SEA for visiting foreign dignitaries, to speaking on panels, to hosting major reception and events at Pier 69, we are deeply engaged in both the content and the logistics of making the ministerials a success. And a huge thank you to Karen Zog black for her tireless uh, work in coordinating these activities at SEA, the Comings and Goings, and actually the events themselves on our behalf, and to the huge team of Port employees and partners who are supporting her in these efforts finally i want to mention that i was pleased to join commissioner cho commissioner caulkins and aviation managing director lance little last week at the board of directors meeting for alaska air group the parent company of alaska airlines and horizon airlines we've had an opportunity to meet with the board in the past which is an important opportunity for collaboration and coordination with with seattle's hometown airline This year's meeting was particularly timely given that the Alaska Board has identified SEA modernization as one of their most important strategic corporate priorities. We are already collaborating with them on major capital projects like the North Main Terminal Modernization Project, also known as the SEA Gateway, and we have many shared priorities on topics like sustainability, safety, anti-human trafficking, and workforce development. Commissioner and calkins also had the chance to highlight some of the major non-aviation activities going on at the port overall it was a very productive conversation on topics big and small and it was exciting to hear about Alaska's priorities I look forward to ongoing conversations with all of our tenants and partners about continuing to improve our facilities and the customer experience at SEA. moving today to today's Commission meeting I'd like to highlight a few items on the consent agenda is an action that will maximize the flexibility of airline gates airplane gates to accommodate increased air travel demand and anticipated gate outages caused by other major construction projects we're also asking for approval for the purchase of new cruise gangways which are essential to our operational continuity and flexibility on our action agenda today we have several actions related to maritime, including additional actions to increase the use of shore power for crews at Terminal 91, the redevelopment of commercial fishing facilities at Piers 6 and 8 at Terminal 91, and construction of our Maritime Innovation Center. We'll close our meeting with the with the second quarter 2023 Financial Performance Briefing, which I, I know that all of you are looking forward to. Con- commissioners,
0: this concludes my remarks. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, And and I also want to give a shout out to Karin Zog Black for all the great work she's doing for uh, APEC. It's it's not an easy lift. All right, so I understand that there are no committee reports today, so we will go ahead and move on in the agenda. We are now at the public comment section of our agenda. The Port Commission welcomes public comment as an important part of the public process. Comments are received and considered by commission in its deliberations. Before we take public comment, let's review our rules for in-person and virtual public comment. Deputy Clerk Payne, please play the recorded rules.
1: They need to reshare with sound, Barry Cruz. You're
6: gonna have to read it.
0: Uh, it's not on my screen.
11: The Port of Seattle Commission welcomes you to our meeting today. As noted, public comment is an important part of the public process and the Port of Seattle Commission thanks you for joining us. The Commission accepts in-person, virtual, and written public comment regarding matters related to the conduct of Port business. Before we proceed, here are the Commission's public comment rules of procedure for your information. Each commenter will have two minutes to speak and should stay within the allotted time. A timer will appear on the screen, and a buzzer will sound at the end of the two-minute period for each speaker. The Commission reserves the right to receive comments specifically related to the conduct of port business. If comments are not related to the conduct of port business, the presiding officer will stop the speaker and ask that comments be kept to matters related to the conduct of port business. This rule applies to both introductory and concluding remarks. All remarks should be addressed to the commission as a body and not to individual commissioners. Disruptions of commission public meetings are prohibited. Disruptions include, but are not limited to the following. Refusal of a speaker to limit remarks to topics related to the conduct of court business. Threats and abusive or harassing behavior and language. Obscene language and gestures refusal of a speaker to comply with the allotted time set for the individual speaker's public comment, leaving the podium or testimony table to physically approach commissioners or staff during one's public comment, provided speakers may author written materials to the commission clerk, and any behavior that disrupts, disturbs, or otherwise impedes the meeting. Any disruption will result in a speaker's microphone being immediately shut off by the presiding officer and a warning or loss of speaking privileges or removal from the meeting room may occur as provided in the commission's bylaws. Written materials provided to the clerk will be included in today's meeting record. The clerk has a list of those prepared to speak. We are taking comments from anyone who has signed up to speak virtually, as well as from anyone who has joined us today here in the meeting room. When your name is called, if you are joining virtually, please unmute yourself. Then please repeat your name for the record and state your topic related to the conduct of court business. You may turn on your camera at this time. The two minute timer will then begin. If you're on the Teams meeting and at the same time streaming the meeting on the website, please mute the website stream to avoid feedback. When you have concluded your remarks, you may again turn off your camera and mute your speaker. If you're speaking from the meeting room, please come to the testimony table, repeat your name for the record and state your topic related to the conduct of port business. Our public comment period will now commence. Thank you again for joining us today.
0: All right, thank you, Ms. Clerk Hart. A reminder that even when she's not here, she's always with us. Um, we will start with our first in person. I'm going to do my usual rotating between in person and virtual comments. Our first in person is Alex Zimmerman. Thank you. Please state your name and the topic related to poor conduct, and then we'll start with the clock. Yes,
3: yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, well, my name is Alex
0: We'll start after you say your name yeah. and state your my topic. My
3: name is Alex Zimmerman, and I live in Bellevue for 35 years. I come today for a particular reason, because I see the discriminate me and hate me because I'm a Jew. And he supports Iranian Muslim candidate in Bellevue, What is my competitor. So this is exactly what is happening and I will be about this to
0: police. Alex, this is gonna be your first warning. You're not allowed to make references to political campaigns or activities related to your it's campaign.
3: This is a hate crime, and I will be co- complaining to police now. This is exactly what is I even delivered to you because it's a too much. What is Democrat mafia doing with somebody who go against her uh, candidate? You understand what I'm talking about? Me or you don't cut, nothing change. I will complain about you, cried hate crime,
0: Alex, you're not allowed to make direct comments to commissioners. Please refer to the body of the commission and not individual no, commissioners. That's your second so, warning.
3: So there's a hate crime. I will complain to police now. And I'm doing this before too many Democrat mafia. Yeah, don't thinking about this. I go to police now. And this hate crime is a felony right now it's exactly what this will be happening
0: yeah by my friend. thank you moving on in public comment uh, we're gonna go virtual uh, Rebecca Lavelle are you with us I think she's virtual Rebecca okay we'll move on to the, the next uh, virtual commentator and come back to Rebecca Abigail Bel- Belknap. Abigail can you hear me Hmm.
12: hi there yes can you hear me okay
0: there you go yep hi Abigail go ahead and restate your full name and the topic related to poor business and we'll start the clock
12: Yes, my name is Abigail Belnap, and topic today, I'm just commenting on behalf of Copperworks Distilling Company located on the waterfront. I am the marketing manager for this company. And this is just a comment uh, in support of the, the cruise industry here in Seattle. Um, as I mentioned, we're all on the waterfront. Uh, we're right across from Miner's Landing. We get a lot of traffic in the summertime. This is our peak season, and we get a major impact of tourists who are so we're very happy to see you know all the traffic that the cruises bring to the waterfront and to a small business like ours Um, we have not exactly structured some business decisions around it but it has influenced our thinking and how we can best accommodate that traffic to our tasting room you know in a few uh, different days we've noticed um, these folks coming in early from the cruises and they're waiting outside our door before we are officially open so that they can come in and enjoy tasting with with us so we have thought about adjusting our business hours to accommodate that um we had planned to do this anyways because we've needed to beef up staffing for a while but we have added another full-time position to our tasting room on the waterfront to help with that as well um and it's it's really wonderful we see folks all over the country thanks to the cruise industry bringing in waterfront and these are folks that normally we would never have a chance to meet and have not really interacted with our business and our brand beforehand so appreciate that that helpful push for our small business thank you
0: Thank you so much, Abigail. Moving back in person, we have Her- Harold Douglas.
13: Hello, my name is Harold Douglas. I'm president of ILW Local 19 here in the Port of Seattle. We represent the workers that work on the cruise ships and the container ships, grain ships, everything here. Um, I want to thank uh, Uh, executive director metric and the commissioners allow me to speak Uh, speaking on behalf of the support for the cruise industry it has been a very good job for our membership Uh, we appreciate the uh, chance to work together with the different vendors and that's why we're kind of excited about this new um, cold ironing that's going to come in place Uh, Watts electric we look forward to working with them Uh, Hopefully, we'll be able to get 100% compliance of plugging in every ship. Mm -hmm. We've had a history over the last 10, 12 years of being able to plug in, hopefully we can make that 100% Mm -hmm. along with what's going on with the Seaport Alliance. We greatly appreciate that. Also on the second gangway, we know it's, it's vital to have that because as these ships get bigger and bigger, uh, sometimes we're moving off of 5,000 passengers on and off a vessel, and they turn these ships over within one shift. And uh, I know it's very important. 66 has been doing uh, the two-gangway operation, and so we look forward to that. And uh, we also applaud the cruise ship industry and the port's directive to try to bring in uh, green initiatives. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important. Uh, because we're not only uh, uh, important to have jobs, we have to take care of the Puget Sound and Alaska, and we gotta speak up for the other people who don't have a chance to, and so we wanna represent everybody, and uh, just wanna say thanks again. Um, We support the cruise industry, we support the green initiative, and we especially uh, support that we work together The ILW the port Commission's and all the vendors and make sure this happens thank you very much
0: excellent thank you so much Harold for those comments and uh, the commentary we're moving back virtually to Joshua Berger Joshua you with us
14: Hi. good afternoon you can hear me okay I can hear you
0: great please state your name and your topic go ahead
14: yeah Joshua Berger, your enthusiastic support of the uh, full authorization renovation of the Seattle Ship Supply Building. I am the president, and CEO of Washington Maritime Blue. We are the nonprofit organization, innovation cluster organization, intending to be the prime tenant and operator of the proposed Maritime Innovation Center. It's been quite a journey to get to this point. Since 2016, we've joined forces to envision, design, and implement the organization, programming, and ecosystem to become a global leader in maritime, oceans, and fisheries innovation for a sustainable and equitable blue economy. In the last four years, we've delivered a nationally and now globally renowned accelerator program. We've run the first ever international accelerator, attracting the best of the best across the globe to Seattle, and we're about to launch the new Seattle Maritime Blue Incubator. And we do all this now at the Blue Hub, currently located in the second floor of the fisherman Center building, overlooking the terminal. We lease 6,000 square feet where we operate a collaborative workspace with subtenants, host events, run programming for startups, students, members, and partners, as well as host high-level government officials and business delegations from around the world, and generally foster collaboration and all things maritime, oceans, and fisheries. We're now ready to scale this work into the new Maritime Innovation Center and fully leverage its 20,000 square feet to achieve our shared mission. We've worked closely with port staff through the design process. We've engaged architects on design and planning the tenant improvements on top of the core and shell and are currently negotiating lease for long-term tenancy and operations in this new living building restoration the first of its kind in the world we're going to be able to tell the remarkable story of the legacy industrial sector its history alongside the story of innovation resilience and inclusion it will be a beautiful and attractive in multiple senses of the word and a beacon for the natural evolution of our work on near and for the water so i kindly ask for a full vote of authorization of funds and i'm thrilled to take this next step together really thank you all for your leadership, your investment and commitment to this region's continued growth as the center of excellence for innovation, sustainability, and equity in the blue top. Great, thank, thank you, time. Joshua.
0: Uh, next in person is gonna be Gerard Wirtz. Good to see you. If you could state your name and your topic. Good we'll
15: my name is Gerard Wirtz and the subject is economic impact of the cruise business along the long front. Is your mic on? I believe so.
0: Is it on?
5: Is the, the light no, it's,
0: no, no, I'm asking if he has you turned You can't hear me? No, I, I haven't touched this at all. There we go.
15: Um, Bob Donegan was not able to be here personally today, and so he asked me to come. He's left a letter that I'll leave with the commission clerk uh, for each of you, and um, it really goes to the heart of of, um, what sort of benefit the cruise industry is providing for uh, Seattle businesses along the waterfront. The historic, the Seattle Historic Waterfront Association consists primarily of the businesses between Coleman Dock and Pier 70. And I know those businesses just as I know many of you do and they're overwhelmingly local. Uh, There's a lot of family businesses. And uh, the message, you know, today is that we heard also from Abigail is the importance of the cruise business for for these local merchants. Uh, More than half of the business uh, of these companies comes in during the summer. Uh, you can talk to a lot of the managers in the restaurants and the hotels, and they can practically tell you how many ships are in port just based on how many people are here. And to echo something that Abigail said earlier, the 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 cruise visitors to Seattle bring so much to our community. You know, they're, they're here maybe visiting family or friends who live here. Maybe it's the first time they're in the city, and, they have the opportunity to become ambassadors for us. So we really wanna put our first best foot forward on the waterfront and uh, the cruise ship visitors, which uh, were absent during the pandemic. It's great to have them back. There's some numbers in the letter, um, but we hope to reach 2019 levels again, in terms of number of visitors along the waterfront, approximately 6 million. So thank you. We, We thank you for your service and for your work to bring these people to Seattle and we support uh, the continuation in a green and sustainable way. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much. All right, and then um, Amy Salin is next, Amy. Hey Amy, can you uh, state your full name and your topic and then we'll start the clock for you.
16: Yes, I am Amy Salin, director of the Burke Center for Entrepreneurship at the University of Washington. And I am speaking in support of the Maritime Maritime Innovation Center project. Uh, I believe the center will provide the opportunity for the maritime industry and programs such as the Maritime Blue Innovation Accelerator, as Joshua mentioned, uh, to really leverage the entrepreneurial and business communities around the Pacific Northwest. Uh, In particular, it can be a base where anyone engaged with the space can leverage collaborations with the University of Washington, which is a key partner in translational innovation activities. Um, For example, the Foster School of Business and the Burke Center for Entrepreneurship, Colleges of Engineering and the Environment, Fishery Science, Computer Science, Clean Energy Institute, CoMotion, which is UW's technology licensing office, Earth Lab, just to name a few. Uh, With continued collaboration between the port and the UW, the Maritime Innovation Center can provide essential resources uh, to continue all of this entrepreneurial education, mentoring, Networking for new business developing in the maritime technology sector, uh, co-working and a maker space for maritime professionals to collaborate with student and faculty innovators. So, as I stated in my letter of support that you have, I strongly believe this facility will become a key driver to spur new technologies in the maritime industry and our region. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Um, and then we have one last speaker. We'll circle back, Rebecca from GSP is on the line and um, I see here she's right there. If you could state your name and the topic and then we'll give you two minutes.
12: Yes,
17: thank you so much. Good afternoon, Rebecca Lovell, the Chief Operating Officer of Greater Seattle Partners. We are a nonprofit uh, public and private partnership dedicated to economic development and to a dynamic and resilient economy, and I am here today, again, like Amy and Josh before me, to enthusiastically offer support on behalf of GSP for the full authorization of funds to support the Maritime Innovation Center. Um, Just a few comments on why this is such a meaningful investment for our region and our workforce. Uh, The convergence of maritime, fisheries, green economy, and technology is like none other around the world. And having personally led incubators and accelerators for the last 15 years, I can attest that there is nothing like the magic of in-person collaboration when it comes to inspiring the next generation of our workforce and ensuring that innovation uh, continues to thrive and flourish here in our region. Um, Everything from the accelerator accelerator itself, which Josh has led and supported for a number of years uh, to co-working space as Amy mentioned there is something truly serendipitous uh, that happens when you have people working together and engineering serendipity in a, in a physical space like this uh, is a really smart investment for all of us as a region um, in everything about this investment speaks to our values of inclusive workforce development of a sustainable economy everything you know from the building 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 itself to the innovations that can happen within. Uh, We can't be more enthusiastic about voicing our support and urge this body to vote for full authorization of funds. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, I believe that concludes all of our public comments. Um, Clerk, could you please summarize any comments that may have been submitted or written to us as well as summary? Do you you wanna call
1: if there's anyone else on the line or in the room? Sure,
0: is there anyone else on the line who wishes to speak or in the room who wishes to speak? All right, seeing none, clerk, go ahead.
1: Thank you. Good afternoon, Mr. Commission President, members of the Commission, Executive Director Metric. We have received 54 written comments prior to our meeting today. These have been been distributed to you in advance of the meeting and will become a part of the meeting record of the public record. 43 submissions today come from citizens who write to ask the Port Commission to cap the number of 2024 season sailings and passengers at or below 2019 levels, reducing these numbers every year until the industry no longer pollutes the oceans and air and no longer emits climate-changing greenhouse gas emissions. The names of the citizens are listed on each of the written comments and will also be added to the meeting minutes. Noemi Maxwell, Alison Osterer, Tariq Fayed, Julia Buck, Jim Bernthal, Jacqueline Casey, and Sandy Hunt, all right to thank commissioners and port staff for their recent actions to protect North Sea Tack Park, uh, requests adequate time for public comment on Order 2023-10 before it is finalized in the fall, and calls attention to recent Seattle Times reporting of the rapid loss of trees to development in the Seattle area. Barbara McMichael writes to thank the Port Commission on the creation of Order 2023-10 but is concerned over the environmental impacts of the airport on her community and the preservation of all forested lands that remain. Iris Antman writes regarding the harms of cruising and the climate crisis. Uh, She also asks for clarification on the public comment process and input plan for Order 2023-10. Ramsey Cookman writes in support of the preservation of North Sea-Tac Park and concerns over the amount of development and shrinking green space in their area. Amy Salen has submitted a letter of support for the Port of Seattle's Maritime Innovation Center project um, that also supports her spoken testimony. Thank you.
0: Great. Thank you so much for that synopsis. Yes, Commissioner Hazgawa.
2: Can you please repeat the name of the person who wrote in requesting for clarification on the process for the input on order? On the tree order?
1: Uh, yes, there are several uh, Noe B. Maxwell, Al- Allison Osterer, Tariq Fayed, Julia Buck, Jim Bernthal, Jacqueline Casey, Sandy Hunts, and Iris Antman.
2: Thank you.
0: All right, thank you so much. Uh, um, hearing no further public testimony, we'll move on to the consent agenda. Um, We'll go back. Uh, Items on the consent agenda are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion. Items removed from the consent agenda will be considered separately immediately after the adoption of the remaining consent agenda items. At this time, the chair will entertain a motion to approve the consent agenda items covering items 8A, 8B, and 8D. So moved. Second. Great, the motion was made and seconded. Uh, Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called for an approval of the consent agenda.
1: Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Felman. Aye. Uh, Commissioner Hasegawa? Aye. Commissioner Mohammed? Aye. And Commissioner Cho? Aye. There are five, uh, four ayes and zero nays for this item.
0: Great, the motion passes. We will now go back to item 8E on the consent agenda. I apologize, Commissioner Mohammed. Please, the floor is yours for questions.
5: Yeah, I just, think, thank you for the time. Um, I just wanted someone to be able to answer for the benefit of the public. If someone could explain just the urgency and, of this investment and if there are any um, public safety concerns at this time. I know that the Gainway is at its service lifetime. Are there any damages to it at this moment? Are there any safety concerns?
9: Uh, thank you, Commissioner. Um, There are no current damages or safety concerns Um, where we would benefit by increased safety is to make sure that we're offering gangways that match the capacities on the ships so that we're not trying to fit too many people through um, any one particular gangway Um, also the current secondary gangway on the east side is not ADA compliant so this would give us a um, backup option that is ADA compliant and um, we don't currently have a gang, a secondary gangway on the west side so that gives us
5: that uh, occupancy as well great that concludes my question that's sufficient Thank
0: you. excellent commissioner hazagawa
2: so the original amount of this project was supposed to be three hundred thousand dollars and it's jumped up to nine hundred thousand ten to, to nine million correct
18: Would you like me to respond to that, Marie?
2: That would be great.
9: Thanks, Tim.
18: Okay. Uh, Commissioner, good afternoon. I'm Tim Leonard, project manager for this with Waterfront Project Management. We actually uh, have an initial $300,000 uh, budget that was authorized through the uh, cruise business group essentially to enable us to start moving forward on the necessary. Uh, actions or activities on this uh, project, uh, such as we procured the services of a uh, technical consultant who has been working with port staff, as well as cruise terminals of America and SSA, and we're in the process right now of determining the best option for the secondary gangways, as, as well as the requirements that need to be included in the uh, request for proposal that we'll be advertising, um, along with our uh, uh, contracts procurement office. So.
2: Okay, thank Hopefully you. Hopefully
18: that answers your question.
2: Thank you. And so we currently have the West Gangway, the West Gangway and the East Gangway, and the East Gangway has a secondary gangway, which is at the end of service life. So this re- so this request is looking for first and foremost um, to be able to make improvements or to fully replace the existing secondary east gangway, correct? And that's a Correct. maintenance we level. That's a maintenance level request.
18: We are looking to procure two new secondary gangways, which will replace the existing single secondary gangway. Um, and this will enable us to, in addition to the primary gangways, which are not involved here, they're they're in operation. We're going to have a new secondary gangway at the east berth and then we will, this will enable us to have a secondary gangway at the west berth as well. So essentially two new secondary gangways to replace an existing single secondary gangway.
2: Okay, so it's not just, I mean, replacing, what. I'm looking at the alternatives that, um, that you presented to us. Alternative one, do nothing. Alternative two, do something but later. Alternative three, procure two new cruise passenger secondary gateways. And I'm wondering um, what the thought was or the process was behind, um, you know, potentially an alternative four where you act on repl- replacing the dilapidated or end of life secondary east gangway. Um, and then um, immediately and then at a later date add the additional capacity at the west gangway. What's the time urgency associated with doing both now?
18: So so actually um, as I understand it there were two secondary gangways at one point in operation um, one is no longer in service due to um, maintenance issues. And actually, the existing secondary gangway at the east berth is comprised of parts from that gangway as well as others. And affected and has been assembled based on parts from multiple gangways. So the, the need is really two secondary gangways. This has existed and it's, uh, it needs to be addressed at both berths. So to just replace the existing east birth secondary gangway would only address a part of the problem it's really the need is for a secondary gangway in addition to a primary gangway at both births
2: i'm i'm, I'm I, I still feel like i don't have clarity on what like this i understand needing to accommodate capacity because demand has been at an all-time high but are there safety issues associated with needing additional with meeting of capacity needs And then like what are the implications for the workforce conditions associated with that as well
18: so so the safety aspect would be from the standpoint of meeting or being compliant with ada requirements Um, as has been stated the trend in the cruise industry as you're well aware i'm sure is that the vessels are getting larger so the need for a greater vertical range as well as horizontal range to meet to connect with the necessary or the actual ships uh, that are berthing at those or the, at the two berths, um, is increasing. So right now, that secondary berth that's in operation, um, or I'm sorry, secondary gangway mm-hmm. on the east berth that's in operation is not ADA compliant. So if the primary gangway were to go down and we are utilizing the secondary gangway as a backup an emergency backup, we're limited in in meeting ADA compliance. So we're looking to achieve full ADA compliance between the primary and the secondary gangways, as well as meet the the growing capacity needs and the mobility needs. The secondary gangway that's currently in place needs to be assembled and disassembled when it's utilized. And the mobility of the, you know, the footprint is taking up on the apron and. The ability to move that around on the apron to accommodate other needs in conjunction with operations is very limited. So I guess you could say, from a safety standpoint, also in providing the most efficient operations on the apron uh, is another thing that we're looking to achieve as part of these new uh, gangways that we're looking to procure. And
2: then in. Our briefing here, says that adding a secondary gangway uh, on the west side would create additional flexibility for shore power connections. How does that work?
18: Correct. So as will be presented as part of that action item, the new shore power equipment is more mobile. These new gangways will be more mobile to in order to work in, in conjunction with that new shore power agreement, or equipment, excuse me, as far as the operations on the, on the apron. So again, the, the existing gangway, the secondary gangway I have is stationary. Um, and it's basically locked into place. So your ability to uh, flexibility in conjunction with the varying size vessels that are berthed um, at the cruise terminal. Uh, Is limited currently, so the new gangways will be more mobile in conjunction with that new shore power equipment.
0: Commissioner Vaughn.
4: So to be clear, this is for embarkation and disembarkation. Correct. And and so so just in terms of getting people on or off the vessel quickly i think that's an important feature ada is obviously a very very important feature but in an emergency to get people off the vessel if there's any problem on board in a speedy fashion so it seems like to me there's uh clearly uh, value in doing this i think the one of the questions i just had is um in terms of you want to have this operational by 2025 so is construction going to occur during the 2024 season or you can Try to accommodate all that in the off-season.
18: That's correct. So we're looking to have the new gangways in place for service uh, at the start of the 2025 crew season. These gangways will be assembled over, well, by a, a manufacturer. The primary gangways right now are overseas. We may have a, you know, a vendor depending on the, you know, the procurement, uh, the responses to the request for proposal we may have one within the US that remains to be seen. But the point being is that we're looking to execute a contract with a vendor to manufacture and deliver the gangways, um, and then they'll be assembled and commissioned at T91. So the construction really takes place offsite, but we'll, we're looking to have them in place by the start of the 2025 uh, cruise season, uh, so you ideally.
4: Would, so you, you don't anticipate any impact on the operations, in 2025, other than achieving, or in 2024, other than achieving the benefits in 2025. Correct. And just last thing. So, did the previous gangways live up to their duration? Did you get what you expected to get out of them? Were they? Uh, did they survive the lifespan you expected them to?
18: The prior secondary gangways.
4: Yeah. I mean, did did, uh, they, did they get they,
18: their useful life? I believe so um, and Maria you, you're from more familiar with the history solid
9: sure like yeah they're they basically were um, parts of other gangways Frankenstein if you will um, so like the the current secondary gangway on the east side sounds, is actually pieces of different gangways including uh, terminal 30 so um, yeah I think we we got good life out of pieces of them
4: <laughs> for sure and we didn't use that in our advertising, Franken. Franken terminal. All right, moving on. All right, sorry. <laughs> Can I get a motion on A E, please?
2: So moved. Second.
0: Great. Can we roll call the vote for A E, please?
1: Yes. First, you have Commissioner Feldman.
0: Aye.
1: Commissioner Asagawa. Aye. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. And Commissioner Cho. Aye four eyes and zero nays for this item
0: excellent thank you the motion passes moving on in the agenda we have five new business items today deputy deputy clerk Payne, please read the item into the record and then executive director will then introduce the item
1: thank you beginning with item 10b commercial aviation coordinating uh commission briefing
7: Commissioners the Commercial Aviation Coordinating Commission the CACC was created by the state legislature in 2019 has been tasked with recommending a single preferred location for a new commercial service airport by June 15th 2023 the Port of Seattle served on the uh, I don't know if we're calling it SIAC or is it, what's it it's a CAC, it, uh, CAC. It's CAC. Known I'm sure CAC, I don't know yes. CAC uh, served on the CAC in a technical advisory uh committee in 2023 the state legislator voted to shift the CAC to a new commercial aviation work group. However, the CAC's final report to the state legislature contains valuable information about the future of regional airport capacity that has significant bearing on our plans at Seattle Tacoma International Airport as as we develop our own infrastructure. Today's presentation will summarize the history, process, findings, and next step from the CAC's final report. And our presenters are R.F. Gauss Aviation Chief Operating Officer and Warren Hendrickson, Chair Commercial. Aviation Coordinating Commission, the CAC. So I'll turn it over to Arif first.
6: Thank you, Commissioners and Executive Director. As stated, and for the record, I'm Arif Gauss, Chief Operating Officer at SeaTac Airport. And I'm pleased to be here today to introduce today's topic, the Commercial Aviation Coordinating Commission. And as just stated, affectionately known as CAC. And that's how I'll refer to it for the rest of my comments. And, And our speaker, CAC Chair Warren Hendrickson. Uh, I had a pleasure to personally serve on the CAC, and I want to start publicly, start by publicly thanking Warren for his steady, thoughtful, and dedicated leadership on his very challenging and controversial process. As you probably saw in the news over the past year, this has often felt like a thankless job, and there was significant community resistance to some of CAC's findings. Uh, We were very fortunate to have someone of Warren's background on the CAC, to name a few of his accomplishments, Uh, He was an instructor pilot in the U.S. Air Force, a commercial air transport pilot, and starting from the smallest to the largest, rated on the 737, the 757, the 767, the 777, and the iconic 747. Uh, He was also a fleet manager for the Boeing 747, Uh, Executive Director for WAMA, which is a Washington Airports Management Association, and has had roles at two Washington ports, Bremerton and Olympia, currently serving as Acting Director of Operations for Olympia Regional Airport. To state the obvious, the work of the CAC is linked to the future of our airport, CTAC. We know that we cannot accommodate all future projected passenger demand through our facility. And that is why the Port Commission, several years ago, formally endorsed the state process for identifying additional regional airport capacity. <clears throat> While we are doing our best to build our SEA, investing currently $4.6 billion, that was approved by the Commission uh, you know, on an annual basis as we go through the financial uh, approval process, for conducting uh, to improve our infrastructure and conducting an environmental review for future enhancements. However, we do rely on the state and others to figure out how to address the future of our region's transportation system, whether it be expansion of existing regional airports or a brand-new airport in Washington state, or high-speed rail, urban air mobility, or a combination of all of them. The state legislators sunset the CAC this year but their findings are still important to hear as we think about our own future plans and our engagement with other regional stakeholders. And so I look forward to hearing Warren's remarks. And I know he will be pleased to answer any questions that you have about the CACS process, findings, and suggested next steps. So with that, let me turn things over to Warren to go through his slides. Thank you. Thank you.
19: Good afternoon, Commissioners. Good afternoon, Executive Director Metrick and Arif. thank you for that kind introduction. Um there's a lot of words to explain that uh, Apparently I can't hold a job over the length of my career, so I've had a a great number of aviation adventures and I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, My role with the uh, Port of Olympia uh, and serving both as airport senior manager and acting director of operations has no connection at all to the CAC, to the Commercial Aviation Coordinating Commission. I came to the CAC as a commission member, non-voting member, as a result of my role and appointed delegate as the Washington State Aviation Alliance representative to the CAC. That is an organization of all the general aviation organizations in the state uh, dedicated to legislative adv- advocacy on behalf of general aviation. So that's how I came to join uh, the CAC from there. It has been a very interesting, challenging, rewarding process over the past four years. I will say that if anybody thought this would be a great way to get your 15 minutes of fame, I would not recommend it. So. Uh, In any case, let me tell you a little bit of the story about where we've been, where we are, and where we need to go uh, from the position of commercial aviation capacity in in the future. Next slide, please. So our background, we've been at this for over four years, identified by the state legislature and created at that time in 2019. We stood up. We thought it was going to be a two-year effort, and it was extended to twice that duration uh, as a result of the pandemic. Uh, That turned out to be a blessing and a curse all at the same time, but uh, it also provided us additional time to go ahead and deliberate and make some recommendations. The goal, as was amended uh, over time as a result of the pandemic, was to identify a single preferred location for a new commercial aviation facility, whether that be a new airport or using an existing airport, by June 15th of this year. The membership was comprised of 27 total members, 15 voting and 12 non-voting. It would be the 15 voting members by a 60% majority that would then make the final recommendation uh, in each place. But we took the role as commission members that everybody had an equal seat at the table and everyone was a participant at equal level. Only when we came to actual votes did we actually make a determination between voting and non-voting in terms of roles. I will have to say it was incredible to have a seat at the table with this group of 27. They were the right people for the right task, critical thinkers, statewide representatives, industry, government, airport, aviation, strong thinkers, community advocates. And WASDA aviation did an absolutely superlative role with minimal resources in providing administrative support. Next slide. So the process was to provide recommendations to solve the shortage of capacity, not in terms of just commercial air passenger service, but also air cargo and general aviation. There were three phase deadlines, January 22, October 22, and then June of this year. The funding made available to the CAC was limited to public outreach and administrative purposes only. That's an important point. We had no specific funding for research and analysis, and that was, A significant constraint placed upon the Commission's work that we had to be creative to work around. Next slide. The recommendations also included a couple of uh, restrictions that were placed by the original legislation on the CAC's work. First, recommendations could not include those located in a county with a population of two million or more. There's only one county in the state with a population that high that would be King County. Options also for a new commercial aviation facility could not include siting on a facility of a military installation that would either be incompatible or affect its ability to carry out its mission requirements. Next slide. Essentially that meant we could not touch King County, we could not touch JBLM. Initially there was conversation about is there a role that JBLM could play by commission members in terms of a joint use civil military field. There are examples of that elsewhere in the country. Charleston, South Carolina, probably the most notable example. There are others. But the end result was we quickly realized that we could not even venture into that conversation based upon the way the legislation was written. Next slide. We have not embarked on this journey just recently. There's a long history. Going back to 1992, the flight plan study came out with three recommendations. The first recommendation was build a third runway at SeaTac, check, we've done that. The second recommendation was to initial, uh, initiate commercial service at Paintfield. Field, check, we've done that. And the third recommendation was to construct a new airport in, in South Puget Sound and here we are 31 years later and we are still at the table discussing the need to address aviation capacity. More recently, the FAA began to realize, and Executive Director Metrick just talked even just previously about attending Alaska Air Group's board meeting where capacity, north terminal expansion, certainly this was an issue. The FAA saw the impact of CTAC and its ability to handle commercial aviation traffic moving forward over the next several decades and realized that we need to figure out when this capacity is going to hit the wall and what we can do about it. So they commissioned the Puget Sound Regional Council, PSRC, that completed, under FAA funding as the lead agency, the Regional Aviation Baseline Study. It was completed two years ago, and ultimately, and as you are probably very well aware, PSRC knows forecasting. When you go back and look 30 years ago at what PSRC predicted for today, they are spot on. They predicted a 27 million passenger gap, 800,000 metric tons of gargle, Basically, twice what exists today. And also, if we did not address the needs, a $31 billion annual economic impact loss and a loss of 209,000 jobs. Next slide. This work of the PSRC and the regional baseline study was also confirmed by a consultant named Kimley Horn, who is working right now on an aviation system plan for uh, WASDOT Aviation and they confirmed all of those numbers were in fact true. They tweaked them a little further. You can see here the impact of growth. We initially thought that CTAC and Painfield combined would reach capacity about 2027 to 2028. You can see the impact of the pandemic on those numbers. And essentially, we crossed the blue horizontal line now in approximately 2032. At that point in time, with all of the capacity improvements planned for both Painfield and CTAC, We will reach the limits, and then from that point on, demand will exceed supply. Although some uh, demand will go to other airports around the state or will bypass Washington State completely, we still need 27 million passengers and 800,000 tons of cargo to meet the needs. Next slide. So at the end of phase one in January 2022, we started off with a a list of all the existing airports, one in Eastern Washington, 17 around Puget Sound. And we took a look and said, can we take advantage of what these airports have to offer today, introduce or expand commercial service at each or many of those airports, and will that solve the problem? And the answer we came to in that first year as a commission was no, no. No airport existing right now around Puget Sound can expand to the point necessary to reach the target of 27 million passengers. It would take five or six commercial airports around Puget Sound, in addition to SeaTac and Payne Field, each one providing approximately four to six million passengers each to go ahead and begin to address the capacity needs. The industry, as we had members of the CAC at the table, would not support spreading their assets, their employees, their equipment that thinly. Think of the Bay Area, where you have San Francisco, Oakland, and San Jose. You have three airports in a triangular arrangement to meet the capacity of the entire area. Here, again, referring back to the 1992 study, painfield SeaTac, and a South Puget Sound Airport lined more in a straight line than in a triangle But it would be three commercial airports would provide them the needed capacity over time and that's where we were left after that first year we can't do it with existing airports we need a greenfield site and a greenfield site it's very important to understand what that means it doesn't mean an undeveloped rural area this is not a case where in in denver colorado they could go out and buy 52 square miles of adams county and only affect 11 landowners that's not the case in puget sound So by Greenfield site, we mean simply a location where an airport does not currently exist. And we know and identify that yes, these sites will in fact be home for businesses, rural communities, residents, churches, schools, and it will have an impact. There is no question that it will. But Greenfield site was specifically that it is not an existing airport. The CAC was not funded for the technical analysis to go there. And that's where WASDOT Aviation, and again, I have to give in particular credit to senior aviation planner at the time, Rob Hodgman, for coming up with the concept on how do we get the research and analysis that we need to go ahead and identify that given we weren't funded for that purpose by the legislature. So every five to seven years, the state does an aviation system plan. This is funded by the FAA, and basically it's a clean sheet design where it's like where are we, what do we have in the state for aviation? What do we need based upon the forecast and how do we get there so it was time to replenish that existing aviation system plan and so they hired Kimling Horn as the coltons to do it, to do it and the faa backed it with funding and we front loaded with faa approval to go ahead and study greenfield sites up and down puget sound that would help then fund and feed the data that the CAC needed tremendously creative without spending a dime of cac money or legislature appropriation to provide us the analysis that we needed. Next slide. So, the aviation system plan must be noted was not bound by the same legislative restrictions on King County and military installations that the CAC was. They could look anywhere, they had no restrictions, and they did. And ultimately, they looked at 10 potential greenfield sites in six counties. And the reason why King County Southeast, in the middle of the pack there, has a double asterisk is because, again, the Aviation System Plan could consider King County, the CAC could not. So although the information was available to us, you know, there was no action that could be taken by the CAC on, on that type of a greenfield site. Next slide. There were eight major factors that were considered at a very high, very strategic level. Far more detail goes, and there's a little bit of the checking of the egg. Do you do work to figure out where could we put a new airport on a greenfield site, or do you put a place on the ground to say, well, let's investigate that? And there's no right or wrong approach. Ultimately, we created 10 greenfield sites and said, what are the factors in each of these major eight strategic areas? And I really want to call attention to the bottom line that you see there. Uh, That is the capacity that could be reached or achieved by each of those greenfield sites. And anything shy of 20 million passers a year does not put a significant dent in what we really need 30, 40 years down the road. So, this information then came to the CAC. We had to make a decision. It's also notable that of all of the 10 greenfield sites, the only one without a red metric is in fact King County Southeast. Only green and yellow. But again, we could not go there, so it was discounted. But notice the capacity potential it was provided based upon the areas that could be served. The Commission then took a look at the two Snohomish County sites, but realized that that would conflict directly with Payne Field. So knowing that Payne Field and Snohomish County would, would have their own capacity needs in the future, King County then was off the table for consideration. That left the two Pierce County sites as being the ones that could provide the greatest denting capacity. The Commission was unsatisfied, however, in just looking at, at just Pierce County alone and wanted to know what else needed to be considered. So the next most viable site in South Puget Sound was the Thurston County Central Site, recognizing that it would only provide shy of eight million pastures per year, but the end result would be, at least it would be helpful, but we needed to look at it. Next slide. So come this past October, we had to look at exactly where these sites are. So these are the two uh, Pierce County sites here. One is south of Graham on the left. The one on the right is south of JBLM. uh, Does not overlap JBLM property. Next slide. The Thurston County uh, central site is south of the Lacey urban growth area. Does overlie a portion of JBLM the Thurston County south site uh, a little further to the southwest was not considered. So those were the three greenfield sites that had the attention of the commission. Next slide. I was curious about exactly how much of an overlap there was at JBLM, so this is, uh, this is my drawing and any inaccuracies are mine, but that is a six mile diameter circle that, that, uh, over, that duplicates the Thurston County central site on top of the Thurston County comprehensive land use plan. And you can see where it touches the Lacey urban growth area to the north, and uh, about one-third of the bottom part of that circle does, in fact, directly overlie J.B. Lamb. So that would mean that that portion of that circle could not be considered by the CAG, but a portion of it could, and that's why it remained in consideration. Next slide. So the end result was, with the data that came to us last October, The voting members of the commission made two recommendations in our phase two recommendation. The first one was to add capacity to Payne Field according to its airport master plan. And I believe commissioners you're familiar that an airport master plan is something that is required by the FAA to sponsor and, and, uh, and create future development. It has an outlook for 10 years or a near term forecast for 10 years and an outlook out to 20. So, add capacity to Painfield as as it could according to its own master plan, but then continue to develop a greenfield site, a 3,100-acre, two-runway configuration at one of three potential greenfield sites in Pierce or Thurston counties, and then take a little bit deeper dive in terms of airspace, structure, infrastructure, roads, and to see what we could do. Next slide. This is where it got interesting. So this past October, up until then, was the public were local government's aware of the CAC, probably in general terms. But as is no surprise, once you put three six-mile circles on the ground, you get everyone's attention. And the CAC did. Not a single local government, whether that be city, county, or port, nor any of four sovereign tribal nations, was willing to support the Thurston and Pierce County Greenfield Site Airport locations. None. None. Universally widespread public opposition. Admittedly, knowing transportation and infrastructure limitations, they were not on the I five corridor. They had no direct road support that was viable. No real major infrastructure in terms of wastewater, electrical generation, power, stormwater capability and then you add on top of that the environmental concerns the Pierce County sites and the Thurston County site all three directly affect the Nisqually River watershed sacred grounds to the Nisqually Indian tribe the Thurston County site also sits on top of the Thurston County aquifer so you add all of that and you realize that this is a tough sell and realizing that with the ability not to go to King County not to affect JBLM uh, taking a look at these, we literally, as a commission, ran into a brick wall. Next slide. There was, however, some good news. The city of Yakima saw the efforts of the CAC, they were aware of it, they saw the needs for capacity, and they voted as a formal council and mayor, polled the city, got a 75 to 80 percent positive return rate, and said, We'll take it. Come here. And which is incredible we had one government in the state of Washington that said we want it bring it and we'll figure it out as is no surprise when you look at the number of passengers and the location of Yakima when you break down the numbers it meant that great we could go to Yakima they would build the airport now we had to figure out a way of getting 55,000 passengers a day from Puget Sound to Yakima how do we do that As an example, rail, well, possibly. The highest, most dense corridor for rail in the country is the ASEALA train by Amtrak from Boston to New York to Philadelphia to Washington, D.C. In the three years prior to the pandemic, its average daily capacity was 9,700. We're talking 55,000 people a day to and from Yakima, from all corners of the state. How do we do that? There were three consistent uh, responses from the public. Build to meet capacity in an environmentally sustainable way. Absolutely. When the Commission started its work, we had four fundamental principles when we first met and said, this is how we're going to do our job. The first one was is economic feasibility, and two, public benefit. Third was environmental sustainability, and the fourth was social justice. And I will have to say the Commission, in every deliberation, every comment, every discussion, adhered to those principles on a daily basis. Uh, if that, was, that was one of the more rewarding parts of the work that we did. The public also said expand existing airports. Well, the Commission had already been down that road and, and realized that that was, we, we get why people would say that, but we had came to the conclusion that that was not achievable. And maximize travel by rail. That there certainly is a role for high-speed rail to play, but that was not within the purview that was given to the Commission, nor did we have the authority to investigate it, but it was a good public feedback. Admittedly, there's no question that high-speed rail, and we've seen this in Europe, where uh, destinations of a certain distance now are obligated to go by rail rather than by air. So there is that capability if you build a system, uh, but what the expense, and if you build it, will they come? The capacity of the Acela train in Amtrak is no question higher than 9700 a day, but the tickets are not affordable and people will drive rather than take rail. So at what point does that break even? Something to be considered in the future, but certainly when we're talking about a major airport that will serve the domestic U.S., not international, for this new capacity is at some point in time, air does become far more efficient than rail. And so exactly where that line is, how that gets addressed, but certainly something, a data block, a check mark for future study. And lastly, the public outreach challenge. From the day that we started business, WASDOT Aviation created a distribution and a website uh, for the CAC. And we had, at the end, 920 people that signed up for direct distribution right from the source on everything that we did. Within three weeks of putting the greenfield sites on the ground, Facebook group started up that in three weeks had 4,200 members. How do we compete and and get the word to people in a social media environment effectively? And that was definitely a challenge. I'll come back to that in in a few slides. Next slide, please. One of the things that we need to be aware of is that no action does not mean no implications. And I know I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know, commissioners. Uh, certainly, SeaTac will hit its capacity. What will be the impact of that? Mostly, it's going to be loss of service. And when you think about that, how, how does that play out? Well, when you have limited number of slots and arrivals and departures at SeaTac, the airlines are going to be forced to use bigger airplanes. That means the sm- use of smaller aircraft to thinner routes and lower gauge equipment to other destinations that don't have the traffic will be lost. So you'll, you need the big jets, And people that want to go somewhere, whether it be the East Coast or to Orlando or Florida or any number of cities around the country, they'll have to connect. They'll have to go through Salt Lake or L.A. or Atlanta or Dallas or Chicago or Minneapolis. That's what they'll have to do because you can't afford a larger number of smaller airplanes to thinner routes when you have the capacity and demand. They'll have to go somewhere else, and that means more connections and loss of nonstop service. Needless to say, higher prices, airfield restrictions, slot bidding among the airlines, uh, you name it. Increased pressure then also on small commercial service airports. It might price a normal family out of the market where they might have to go to Portland or to Tri-Cities or to Spokane to take their family on vacation. Next slide. Here's the public engagement metrics. Could we have done a better job? Absolutely. I am convinced, however, we did the best we could with the budget that we had and the consultant team that we had, and these bullets over these two slides tell the numbers, and they're available in your packet, you can come back to them, but tens of thousands of interactions with the public. Uh, I personally hosted the five virtual drop-in sessions. It was like ask any question, any time, any boundaries, and we had over 400 people in those five sessions. I only wish that we had more time to answer everybody's questions but all we could do was do the best we can I will give the public credit they were respectful they were kind they were demanding but they wanted straight answers and straight talk and and rightly so rightly so so that was difficult challenging but it was an absolute pleasure to engage and to try to tell the story so that we were all on the same page going forward Next slide. More metrics that we have right here, so you can see the numbers that we've done here. Okay, next slide. So, on top of all this, given the public feedback, Arif uh, already spoke to you a little bit about the uh, in Gross Substitute House Bill 1791, the legislature realized we may need to reset this and, and take out the CAC and then replace it with another group. So that was the intention to go ahead and do that. Uh, repeal the statute. So as a result, the CAC, we had to take a a seat back because, well, we see what the legislative intent was. We shouldn't have a meeting and make a recommendation when we may be abolished, and we didn't know what the governor would do. So, next slide. The bill passed. Unfortunately, the governor decided to veto most of the bill, four significant sections. Basically, one of the key ones was that he he vetoed the section that would have abolished the CAC. And that meant that we were back in business and we still had a statutory requirement to go ahead and make a recommendation. Next slide. So we joined that meeting in June 9th, six days before the deadline, and ultimately we had to figure out how we were going to address what we had learned and what we were going to do. And given the time available, we created a survey to go ahead and hopefully point the commission in the right direction. I will go through these next few slides very quickly uh, because again they're in your packet and uh, let's take them one at a time for the high level overview of the results that came from the Commission. Next slide. So can we use an existing airport? Do we need a Greenfield site? Clearly Greenfield site the Commission was unanimous about that fact for the last two to three years of our operation. Next slide. Should we go to Painfield or a Greenfield site? We need a Greenfield site. Painfield will help, but it's not the answer. Next slide. Which Greenfield site do you prefer? Recognizing the feedback, the community, the lack of government support, the end result was we need a Greenfield site. We don't know where it is. Next slide. Should Yakima be selected? I mean, they raised their hand. The answer was no, that we recognize the challenges of getting the people there, but we do appreciate their participation. Next slide. Do you believe it is possible to have a new primary commercial facility complete by 2040? Split. It takes forever to build an airport. It takes forever to build an airport. Denver from 83 to opened in 95, 12 years, and that was with, you know, a, a, you know, a good start. We don't have that here yet. Next slide. And then, what other important items need to be considered? Identify an airport sponsor as you are Port of Seattle is the sponsor for Port of uh, Seattle Sea-Tac International Airport That means the airport owner So we have to find funding we have to write a master plan We have to find the infrastructure we need industry commitments that they're going to operate from the new site next slide Would you prefer a no-action alternative? No Because then we would forever throttle the economic impact of washington state locally and nationally next slide has the ability to make recommendations in king county been a hindrance or inability rather and yes it was next slide even more so by one additional vote Even not being able to talk to JBLM was also a hindrance. So both were limitations. Next slide. So ultimately, next slide, what were we to do? We needed to consider all of this. The feedback, the lack of local government support, lack of Indian sovereign nation support, the legislative intent. The governor's veto comment said, you guys need to go ahead and work on existing airports, uh, as was part of his veto message. The survey responses our statutory responsibility is we were told that we by law have to make a recommendation next slide so the end result was as we looked at what we needed to do what the legislature asked us to do next slide and ultimately what the legislature uh, what the Commission elected to do is we don't have enough data or support or funding to really say one location on the ground state legislature here is the result, our survey results. And we presented that as a body of knowledge to the legislature to say, here is where we've been and what we need to go forward. And briefly, I'll finish up with, next slide. So the next steps, here's where we are. The CAC officially sunsetted and I was put out of the chair job. Yay for me. Uh, effective June 30th. Uh, the COG legally established on July 23rd, Recruiting of the members will be on a schedule to be determined. Governor Inslee has indicated he will appoint this new body. I will offer the new work group with the transition, but these next few questions are really the key on what I want to leave with you today. Next slide. The next steps for all of us. Who will lead this effort? We have an interstate highway system because of President Eisenhower. We put a man on the moon in eight years because of President Kennedy. Denver Airport was built in 12 years because of Governor Ray Romer and uh, Mayor Frederico Pena at the time. Governor Ro- Romer was quoted as saying, this decision on the airport will be the most important economic decision this state will make in 20 years. I would say in retrospect, probably the most important decision in 50 years when you look at what Denver is today. 215 destinations from Denver, fourth largest airport in the country. So. But what does that mean now going forward for the rest of us? Next slide. We've got to expand the team, and we have to ask ourselves some hard questions. Do we agree we have a problem? Is commercial aviation capacity limitations a problem for us, for this state, for this economy? If we agree, if we don't agree, then we're done. And we can't move forward but we have to agree as a group of all governments federal state and local ports sovereign nations the public the communities next slide if we agree there is a problem is it worth solving it's going to cost there will be impacts no question if we can't agree it's worth solving then we take the no action alternative but if we agree it's worth solving next slide How do we solve it? And this is a big factor because what the legislature asked the CAC to do was define where. We need to find not only where, but how. What will it look like? What emerging technologies come into play? How can we build the airport of the future? To some extent, we should consider this an opportunity, that this is not SeaTac 2.0 or Painfield 2.3. This is a new airport with a new opportunity to go ahead and protect and grow the economic uh, demographics of the entire state and the region we have a big part to play we are one of the top ten aviation destinations in the country and uh, how do we protect that capacity going forward and lastly next slide if not if we're not willing to tackle those questions are we willing to accept the consequences of no action and with that I thank you for your time if there's any questions I could answer for you I would be my pleasure
0: Thank you so much for that uh, thorough briefing and um, this uh, for my colleagues is an informational only item so there will be no action associated with the item today but I will open it up to comments and questions for Commissioners at this time please let me know if you would like to ask a question or make a comment yeah Commissioner Feldman
4: you know thank you so much for that bit of history and And congratulations on your retirement, and uh, (laughs) we should all be so lucky. Um, But the 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 thing that's always troubled me is, in in addition to the need for general aviation and air cargo, of course, the airlines always talk about the need for connecting flights. And so your point about having the three airports and. California having some proximity that's always some help but the um, the idea that back in 1992 that the recognition of the need for an airport to the south this is clearly where our population growth in large part is coming it's where light rail is going it just seems to be uh, I think one of the great challenges of SeaTac uh, is our kind of inability to get people there and back in a mass transit kind of a way so that capacity is improving to the south um and and the need for air cargo and having you know scattered small airports around the area does not really address the need for the consolidation of air cargo and but going to the south again you have some potential for equidistance to the kent valley distribution center so that if you have something to the south and you have something at SeaTac, you can at least consolidate and redistribute as needed um, which then brings me to the um, to the fact that, that you had the luxury of this FAA Aviation System Plan that sort of res- took off the bounds of the legislative uh, restrictions. And you noted that North Carolina in Charleston has this joint use with a military base. Um, and I'm just wondering to the degree, and you know, I understand there's like a dozen places that have Air National Guard sharing space with uh, commercial aviation and something like a half dozen military bases that share that capacity but north carolina i didn't know specifically about but i'm just wondering did the air safety plan um get into any detail in terms of operationally how you made that happen because it strikes me that probably long after i'm gone that that's the only place that makes sense to me but um obviously the military is, feels otherwise but uh so i'm just wondering to the degree that did you have a chance to dive into north carolina
19: uh, only from my military background and my commercial aviation background was I aware of these joint use airports. I had 24 years of military service and I operated from, a, in my years with the Arizona Air National Guard, operated from a joint use field. Uh, it's doable. It's capable. Uh, the CAT could not go there because of the legislative restriction. And J.B. when we drew the circles on the map, they did make a public statement through their public spokesperson. And we did have a representative of J.B. on the commission as a non-voting member. And uh, they said, anything you do will impact the mission. And then that took it off the table. If we're serious about this going forward, all you have to do is look, Google, and this is my own personal opinion now, but as an aviation representative that has been in this process, if you do a Googler search of Puget Sound, where is the land? where you don't force businesses and communities to move. It's a JBLM, And we need to find a way, federally, state, local leadership, of bringing JBLM to the table on, how can we meet your needs and restrictions while still meeting the needs of Puget Sound? In a large view, does the base have to be where the population is? No. The C-17s operate from Grant County International Airport. The Army trains at Yakima Reservation. Could there be some means by which this transition plan to Eastern Washington, but where does the aviation capacity have to be? It has to be where the people are, and that is the tiebreaker. And somehow we need to bridge that gap, in my own mind, going forward. To have that conversation to go ahead and find out how do we meet everybody's needs when i gave a presentation like this to pierce county one of the uh, council members came up to me afterwards and said well recognizing that the mccord runway may not work because it's too constrained doesn't provide the two runway configuration but if you build new runways further south into fort lewis couldn't they be shared by the c 17s absolutely all it takes is a little bit of effort the Port of Tacoma, the Pierce County, will fight tooth and nail to have any impact at all on JBLM. And they have told me directly. I understand that. But ultimately, if we're th- thinking 30, 40, 50 years down the road, the economic impact of a SeaTac type of airport with that capacity far exceeds the economic impact of JBLM. So yes, will there be churn, will there be impact? But in terms of where is the land, where is the need, where is the population growth? To me, I think there's a door there that needs to be opened, but it's going to take a lot of people at the table to go ahead and meet everybody's needs going forward. It's a difficult, difficult challenge. I,
4: I love the fact that somebody who has so much more experience than me come to the same conclusions. But the uh, the other component is that these communities are already exposed to heavy aviation noise, right? True. And so True. that there is also when you talk about greenfield, this isn't greenfield in that sense. It's you have that. Uh, community exposure. You also have the idea that you would have residents rather than just transient communities in the, in the military. But, you know, Port of Tacoma, where, as a Seaport Alliance member, you know, it's a strategic port. It's important yes. to have that relationship yes. with the military and the military needs to be there. It just seems to me that um, we've just been told, you know, a priority, you can't look. And, and it just strikes me that, you know, with some, that's why I was wondering whether being able to take a deeper dive to see, are there any ways in which these things could be accommodated? Moses Lake has the longest airfield, right? How much longer does it take to get there from, you know? So anyway, but thank you for that uh, candid response. Commissioner Mohammed.
5: Well, first of all, I just wanted to say thank you for the briefing. This was very informative and um, I've said this before, disappointing at the same time. Um, uh, One of the questions that I had uh, was around to prevent the restart of the commission. To me, it seemed like maybe midway some of what the outcome was of the commission and the direction that things were, were going in, and especially the response could have been predicted from the public and the community. And so were there any consideration midway to pause? Um, I, I feel very disappointed. that this whole thing is going to go back to the drawing board and i'm I'm curious if there's anything that you can share around that
19: we considered that especially given i mean when we got into the pandemic and it was like teams and zoom and how do we do online and how do we engage the public in a a meaningful way uh, it was challenging and there's no question there were lessons learned uh, and we wondered whether or not a pause would be appropriate we We had four non-voting legislative members on the commission as well, and the question was, should we go back and extend the timetable even further? But mostly it was like, let's continue this process and then see where we can get to figure out what's going on. But certainly the public feedback, even within the legislature, this bill passed unanimously in both houses, both sides of the aisle. And then... The new work group did not. I mean, so clearly the message was being received by the legislators in terms of uh, the, the, the communities that they represented. What, what needs to happen going forward is we don't necessarily have to start over, but certainly everything that we've done this past four years becomes now part of the body of knowledge, and we share that to the next group. My candid concern about the work group is their only requirement is to make an annual report to the legislature. They don't have it deliverable. They don't have a specific mandate. They don't have the authority to make any decisions. They have the ability and the task to go ahead and continue to study and make a report. Does And the open-ended question is, does that move the ball forward to meet the needs that we know are coming down the road? We in the planning business are, and, and in the port business are in the role of predicting the future, preparing our communities for the future that we know is coming. The question is, is how do we do that? You know and and have total support and buy-in
5: that's re- that's really really helpful um, and ought to be something that uh, they, they consider in the, in the future having more than just an annual report being their responsibility my other question is um, how much time maybe was spent on discussing the public safety concerns at SeaTac Airport it with the capacity increasing and just knowing that that like there's clearly clearly a consequence for a no action and that there is a clear connection to public safety in connection to that that we need to take action because at some point it's going to be a public safety concern um, was that a part of of, of you guys as discussions a big part of it and then the other the other my last question is around um, strategies in, uh, t- talking about mitigation strategies for communities near these airports I think a, a big reason why the public pushed back and a lot of communities pushed back is because people don't understand sort of the support that they will receive especially for those who will live adjacent to an airport And so um, if you can maybe speak to that a little bit, that'd be helpful.
19: Absolutely. You're you're absolutely right. The safety and and, uh, the social environmental concerns were upfront and personal to every member of the commission. We had about four or five informational sessions devoted to having uh, environmental social justice experts come and speak to us. We had the benefits of the study of particulates and, and the work that was done here with regard to transportation infrastructure impacts on communities the particulates that were coming from exhaust, the impact of sustainable fuels that were being introduced here. But the trouble is, as you well know, is we could go 100% sustainable fuel from SeaTac International Airport, but that means all the other airplanes coming from everywhere else in the world are not burning that sustainable fuel, so there's still going to be that impact. And the question is, how do we move that forward? Senator Karen Kaiser and Representative Tina Orville, Senator Kaiser was the sponsoring uh, member of of the of the state house that brought the CAC to fruition because of the impact knowing on the communities and that's why both Senator Kaiser and Representative Orville had seats on the commission as non-voting members so they could then speak directly to the impact on the communities from both an environmental and safety aspect as well as a transportation aspect that was that was key to our understanding and then we had the benefit of the studies that came to us as well so that was that was important. Uh, With regard to the the second question going forward, in terms of the communities going forward, is we recognize that this has to be emerging technology. We have to use electric aviation. There are already aircraft flying, you know, that are commercially sized, relatively small, range limited, but that could enter into commercial service once supervised uh, or uh, certified. They are already in testing and flying. So it's not a pipe dream. Some people believe it is, but it's not as far away as I think we think, and we need to embrace and fund and support those efforts because that will mitigate the particulates, that will mitigate the fuel issues, that will mitigate the emissions, and will provide a better capability with quieter operations. So yes to both of your questions spot on exactly where we need to go but certainly a part of our conversation.
5: yeah i really really appreciate the time and just want to say that um i think embracing and funding um these innovative ideas and also um i think there's an opportunity for the state and our legislators to understand that when you have an airport and the communities near it they are um it's a benefit to the entire region, and by yes. s- providing support to them and showing that through funding and, um, and, and hearing them out better, I do think then people in the rest of the, the, the state will be more welcoming of an airport. So I, I say do right by uh, SeaTac and the communities adjacent to our airport even more. And I think more, more communities will, will welcome a, a second airport, and I, I, we're ready for it. It's overdue. And thank you for your time and your service.
19: Thank you, Commissioner. Yeah, I will say that our social justice guiding principle that we adopted our first year at our first meeting, uh, first two meetings, was no one should benefit at the expense of any other segment of our community. Mm -hmm. That has to be part of the process going forward. If you can do that, then you will get by it.
0: Commissioner Hazagawa.
2: Well, um, I just wanted to open by thanking you for your leadership on this commission. And I heard you in your opening comments when you said it oftentimes feels like a thankless job. And we understand the challenges in navigating community concerns, balancing that impact with benefit and opportunity. Um, And it truly is a balancing act. And I love what you said about making sure that opportunity for public engagement was there your leadership in personally facilitating uh, public comment and fielding questions and concerns with over 400 people but that you referred to that as a piece of the joy of the work Um, thank you if it is linkless then let me thank you personally uh, for that leadership um, Commissioner Fellman asked my questions about future considerations of JBLM. I won't ask you to repeat your answer, um, and I did also hear you about um, alternatives, right? And that none of this exists within a silo. No action means no. Does not mean no impact. I do think that there are continued opportunities for leadership by the Port of Seattle, and just so that you know, we are having ongoing conversations about. How we can continue to influence the state legislature for a continued conversation, not just about the development of a new green field space, but also about the establishment of a high-speed ground alternative, um, something that would give people um, some, you know, uh, both within time and, and um, economic um, balance an, an alternative, a, a feasible alternative to travel to aviation um but i um i also just wanted to reiterate you know as the work of the if you're the CAC, I think the next one's the COG. <laughs> yes,
19: that, that's what we started to do with
2: it. I really appreciate um, your optimism and your framework that it's truly an opportunity about the how. Um, and, I mean, Commissioner, uh, President be the first to tell you, we're, we've been recognized as the best airport in North America for two years in a row now. Come for our title, right? <laughs> think of something new and, um, and a more sustainable way for, as you put it, or the airport of the future and how we can build that to meet the needs um, of our region Um, but that ultimately no matter how the cog is stood up empowered resourced um, who's appointed to it it is going to require political leadership at the executive level And so that's the other thing that we need to balance as we hear your call for influence at the federal level in congress to maybe open up some opportunities so that jblm can be a more active part of the conversation the consideration the time urgency that we're seeing around all of this we should have gotten gotten started 10 years ago Um, if we were truly going to meet the needs of what our projected growth um, and demand was going to be um, and that we after 12 tremendous years will be welcoming a new governor and that there is a presidential election upon us and so these are conversations there is political uncertainty um, and those are all things that we're just going to have to continue to navigate and um, and lean into um, together and everybody's going to have to lean into those conversations but that awareness Aspect and the continued opportunity for leadership by the Port of Seattle to talk about the urgency of these needs—that we cannot meet the needs of this region—and we are doing everything that we can to keep up with the current rate of demand, to say nothing of what's to come. So um, you have us in partnership. Thank you so very much for the thoughtful presentation, and thank you so much for all your work to date. Thank you, sir.
0: Thank you, Commissioner Hazagawa. I had a few questions for you as well. Um, that slide you had with essential factors that was color-coded, green, white, green, I think it was red, red and yellow. We, we refer to it as our chicklet chart, for lack okay. a better term. Uh, were your chicklets weighted? Yes. They were. Yeah, so weightless. how did you, so how were they weighted?
19: Each each one of those and all of this information is available. And can we go back to that slide, please? Sure can. Uh, Slide. Yep. So each one of those factors, green, (laughs) yellow, or or red, were a defined metric within that strategic area, whether it be terrain, property acquisition, uh, or the entire list there. And so the question was, we defined a metric, you know, based upon those three color codes, and then the question was, as the AV system plan with its uh, research analyst team then would go into each of those sites and say where among uh, in that metric did the criteria uh, be reached and there was a lot of detail involved in each of those uh, to go through but in terms of uh, you know each one of those had its own specific set of metrics that guide that uh, ultimately determined what what its color coding would be
0: so I just want to make sure I'm understanding you correctly the The essential factors column with the terrain impact property acquisition Mm -hmm. environmental justice those had what you're calling criteria
19: criteria each one of them each one of those categories had three separate criteria that to be green you had to reach this this level to be yellow you fell within this range to be red you fell below a certain benchmark
0: i understand that but i'm what i guess what i'm asking is where they weighted relative to each other
19: Oh no! No, they were not. And
0: why no, was not? Was, no, there were eight not?
19: standalone. Oh, th- thank you for that. Yes, there were eight standalone factors that were not. Uh, they were not prioritized among among m- among them.
0: Okay. So, for instance, population served was not weighted greater than, for instance, terrain impact. No, nope. they, they were looked at separately. from each other. They were looked at separately. That's correct. Okay. Um, uh and then you know i think one comment i'll make um i think that's important first of all i think it is important to weight these right Mm -hmm. these are not these are not factors independent of each other
19: that's that's correct
0: right this is part of a holistic analysis and to not weigh one thing that might be more important in analysis than the other i think is a huge miss and i think perhaps if you did weight this the ultimate what is green or what was yellow or what was red might have changed a little bit, right? And so I'm not, I, I don't know that for a fact, but for instance, if environmental justice was higher up or weighted more, right? That could have skewed some of these sites in one in one way or another, or, you know, uh, cost, right? Property acquisition, right? Certain areas are more expensive than others, right? To acquire property in, and, and how much of that is weighted relative to, you know, environmental justice, right? And so I, I'm just throwing that out there. I understand that this is sunsetting, so obviously there's nothing we can do at this point, but it's just on the record, something that we should, I'm a data guy clearly, and something that we should take into account for future studies. I think that's really, really important. Uh, and I, I don't know if you want to comment or agree, but I think I, those, are, those were, that was my initial reaction when I saw this. I
19: think those points are very well taken because uh, for example, uh, a wetland impact or a floodplain impact on one side, you can look at that and go the science and technology may allow us to find ways to mitigate that It's just a matter of cost Correct. Of degree. Correct. but environmental justice, wait a second That has, now we're talking people, right. we're talking environment, right. we're talking long-term protection of the earth And now that has a whole different level, And but that gets down to the site analysis And again, sure. the funding that was sure. available, the amount of time that we had available and the ability for the team to provide us within the timeframes that we had by statute or that we will do what we can, recognizing that this is only scratching the surface. This didn't even look at airspace, for example. Right, that was my next question, actually. Issues with regard to airspace in terms of what that was. Ultimately, what it came down to to the commission is recognizing that the overall value of this certainly has a political overtone in terms of our communities, the social and environmental piece especially. It was where can we meet the capacity because that's what we were charged to do, meet right. the capacity. And, and then again, going forward, I think your comments, Commissioner, uh, are exactly what needs to be considered as the... The body of politics goes forward
0: great i appreciate that um, actually my second question was regarding you know jblm and their, when we eliminated jblm you said it was because of geographic overlap but i was going to ask you if that's ge- physical geograph geography on the ground or airspace overlap as well
19: uh, JBLM, uh, in their public statement said both even even citing near JBLM right. would be an issue because the amount of helicopter traffic that takes place to and from the air, uh, their right. facilities that overfly local communities.
0: Because I've often heard the argument that the reason Boeing Field can expand to commercial is because it's the same airspace as SeaTac. And so I don't know if that's the case. It, that,
19: that is definitely true. Boeing Field right now operates under the umbrella of the class, what's called class Bravo airspace okay. for SeaTac. And and so there are definite impacts for, for Boeing Field not being able to expand. Even, even today under instrument flight conditions, departures and arrivals at Boeing Field are impacted based upon the nature of the traffic at SeaTac. Okay. But even to some extent as far north as Paynefield is, field also, right. their airspace is impacted by uh Whitby Naval uh Island Naval Air Station as well as SeaTac mm. Boeing Field operations.
0: That's great insights. And then lastly I just want to make a point here, and I think uh what you said earlier about aviation aviation needing to be where the people are. You know, I really have a problem with that and I want to challenge that point because I feel like there are countless examples around the world where the airport isn't near a high population dense area, right, Uh, London, Hong Kong, Seoul, South Korea, you take a 45 minute to an hour train into the city and I know that you made a reference to the Acela train uh, I've taken the SLM many times from D.C. to New York, and let me just tell you, that's not a standard we should be aspiring to. It is not a great service. It is not fast. It is, it's kind of sad, actually, how slow that train is. And 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 we know that states like California are building trains between L.A. and San Francisco. You know, I I, I you know I like to think big picture and think why can't we connect Spokane to Seattle and have Yakima in between, right? And 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 have that forty-five minute a train between Seattle and Yakima and Yakima to Spokane Uh, you know that's far short of our distance than LA to San Francisco or even San Francisco to the Central Valley and so I think you know um, I appreciated this uh, this uh, presentation because it actually highlighted some of the and no offense the crutch of what you were authorized to do you were not allowed to consider King County J.B. Lamb was off the table and I feel like you were kind of set up for failure kind of in a sense yeah no research budget to the real due diligence um and so i would hope that you know going forward whether it's we call it the cog or whatever that we put some real resources behind this and intentionality that this isn't some performative you know, thing that we're doing to appease a bunch of politicians who are pissed off about airplane noise in our neighborhood, right? I don't know why Yakima was eliminated and not just suggested with an asterisk next to it. I noticed that the recommendation suggested, we should do this, provided that we expand Paynefield and SeaTac. Well, that's an asterisk in my view, right? So I don't understand why the committee decided to eliminate Yakima altogether uh, and not provide a qualified, right, uh, uh, conclusion that says, Yakima would be great if X, Y, and Z, right? And and lastly, I'll just and I'll get off my soapbox. To your point, there's a tremendous amount of emerging technology happening. Right, I just had a meeting a couple of days ago who was of, a, of, a, of a tech entrepreneur who wanted to do vertical takeoffs from you know uh, the downtown Seattle area to the airport. Right, uh, A lot of aviation is doing some amazing stuff uh, up north. And so I, I, I do feel like this is a once in a generation opportunity. And I'd be remiss if I didn't just mention that there are trillions of dollars in the federal government for infrastructure projects right now. Right, that I need to get out the door in the next five years. Like this is a golden opportunity for us. If you really look at it from a ten thousand foot level perspective, and this 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 political BS, quite frankly, is really getting in the way. Of you know, I, I think about Sound Transit and light rail. And if we had built that thirty years ago, if, if if we didn't, you know, politicize it, and we just made the right decision, we wouldn't be where we are today right and so i I really am hoping that we can get to a point where we can make smart data-driven decisions that really really uh, look towards the future uh, and we can we can really shy away from all this political gesturing and performative performance and this is not Uh, you know a system of you or your work I go the sentiments of my colleagues I want to thank you so much for all the tremendous work that you've done uh, and congratulate you on finally your retirement Uh, but I hope that there are some strong lessons learned from this experience that will carry over to the next experience Uh, and so with that I will close this section of the 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 agenda thank you so much again for coming in and providing that briefing thank Thank you you,
19: Commissioner thank you director metric appreciate that thank you very much
0: absolutely Deputy Clerk plane if we can go on to the next item, and Executive Director Metric will introduce the item.
1: Thank you. This is item 10C, authorization for the Executive Director to enter a contract for the procurement of a proprietary shore power system consisting of two mobile cable positioning devices for Pier 91 in the amount requested of $2,500,000 of a total estimated project cost of $2,750,000.
7: Commissioners acquiring these mobile cable positioning devices will increase the ability of cruise ships at terminal 91 to plug in to shore to plug into shore power capable due to varying ship configurations there are currently instances where the ships cannot excess uh, shore power due to sim- simply to location and the positioning of the vessels and this action will support our efforts to be the greenest port of north america and our work to ensuring that every cruise ship at our port utilizes shore power no later than the year 2030 if not sooner i have to say is i know we've addressed some of these issues already and uh, here presenting today is linda springman director of cruise operations and uh, kelly pernell uh, capital project manager
20: Thanks, executive director metric and good afternoon commissioners um, go ahead to the next slide um, Oh, go to the next one sorry I'm here today to request authorization for the executive director to enter into contract for the procurement of two cable positioning devices as a retrofit to our existing equipment at terminal 91 today we are asking for authorization of 2.5 million dollars for purchase and installation of this equipment next slide As you know, we currently have two shore power connections at Terminal 91. When they were first installed here in Seattle at Terminal 30, they were the second and third shore power connections in the world. When Terminal 91 cruise terminal was completed, the equipment was relocated to this new location 15 years ago. Since that time, shore power development has continued to evolve. Um, As you also know, we are in the middle of a project at Pier 66 to install shore power, and that equipment will come with this flexibility provided by cable positioning devices, allowing for uh, approximately 40 feet of variation from either side of the fixed installation to accommodate the positioning of shore power connections on board ships. Unfortunately, given the variation of ship sizes and design, there is no standard for location of this equipment on board ships. With the goal of minimizing operational challenges to daily ship turn operations, adding this flexibility to the equipment at Terminal 91 minimizes gangway moves and reduces other uh, operational issues that might need adjusting related to efficient ship turnarounds, including luggage luggage load and offload and provisioning with the goal of providing the best optimization of our assets and their lifespan and accelerating emissions reductions by eliminating barriers. Next slide. Uh, In 2022, um, of the ships equipped with shore power, 83% connection rate was achieved. This uh, resulted in um, in 2022 of avoiding 2,000 tons of greenhouse gas emissions. And anecdotally through June of this year, we had um, already achieved 40 uh, shore power connections and we're waiting for the July numbers. Next slide. This effort aligns with the Port Century agenda goals to responsibly invest in economic growth of the region, being the greenest and most efficient energy efficient port in North America and being a highly effective public agency. Next slide. And I will now turn it over to Kelly Purnell, the project manager for this effort.
21: Is this working? Okay, great. Uh, Good afternoon, commissioners, uh, executive director. We will be procuring two mobile cable positioning devices, or CPDs, uh, to modify the existing shore power connection systems on Pier 91 east and west berths. The CPDs are built on a mobile emission-free platform with an extendable boom that has a multi-directional pivot. The CPDs have the capability to move the large shore power cables up and down the pier, as they are not fixed to a single point of connection. Currently. The shore power cables run to static connection points on the piers on a fixed jib crane. The Pier 91 West jib crane is shown in this image. You can see that it's quite fixed. <laughs> um, as you can see, it has limited maneuverability and limited reach. Due to the constraints of the ex- existing shore power connection system, not all shore power cable capable ships can plug in, as Linda discussed previously. Next slide. For our procurement of the two CPDs, we have obtained a competition competition waiver to enter a contract with Watts Marine. In this image on the slide is an example of the mobile cable positioning devices that Watts Marines built. In comparison to the fixed jib crane shown on the previous slide, the device allows maximum flexibility through maneuverability along the pier as well as the extendable boom that can move in multiple directions to extend the shore power cables for plug-in to the ships. The existing shore power cable will be removed from the existing jib crane. The jib cranes will be decommissioned and the cables will be relocated onto the mobile CPDs. The procurement package will include design and engineering, delivery, installation, and commissioning of the CPDs, along with some minor electrical modifications. Mott's Marine will then also be contracted to operate the system once installed. Next slide. Our goal for the schedule for this project is to start our procurement in quarter three of this year, so shortly after authorization to proceed. Delivery and installation of the mobile CPDs is anticipated in quarter two of 2024 and in use for the 2024 cruise season. The intent is to avoid any impacts to the cruise operations for 2024. Next slide, please. We have estimated our project costs to be $2.75 million. Our estimate for the procurement package of that amount, as described previously, is $2.5 million with 250,000 in our soft costs. Next slide. That is the conclusion of our presentation.
0: Excellent, thank you so much. Any questions from commissioners before we vote? Of course.
4: All right. So I see this is being paid for by the tax levy. Whereas the other one was based on general revenue, uh, general fund. I mean, it's 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 all the same pot of money, but the fact it's distinguished as tax levy money is there um, a rationale for that? I mean, it is I part that. of our. That's sorry. on that's on page uh, six of the memo. Oh, sorry,
0: I was going to point out. I think Dan Dan has, has his hand up. He, uh, Dan, are you responding to Commissioner Feldman?
22: Yes, I am. Oh, okay, thank you, uh, Commissioner. Yes, Commissioner, the, the memo does say that's tax levy funded. However, that was supposed to have been changed. So I apologize. That should be general fund consistent with the Pier 66 shore power project. Apologize for the mistake.
4: Uh, very good. Thank you for that clarification. I, I did have um, another, another question was about the um, how many more ships than you, you say right now we're getting 69 of 83 of connected to the shore power. At this 83 percent rate right so is that of all the shore power capable vessels or is that just totally all the vessels that called on the port? 83 percent can do it i'm just wondering how many more ships do we get if we have this capability
20: it, it's a combination of factors so that's uh, the 69 is of the shore power capable ships there are about a, just under 200 calls at terminal 91 um, and they are not all shore power capable right now what this does is it's going to, going to First of all, um, the two of the ships that are there right now, we have to move the gangways for them to be accommodated. Um, and so we're hoping to stop moving gangways. We talked about gangways earlier today. And then um, next year we have a couple different ships coming in and we want to be able to accommodate them. So any ship that is shore power capable this year that is trying to plug in, we are accommodating via the gangway move.
4: So, And so that will be the case. So any ship that will be shore power capable will be able to be plugged in with the advent of movable gatewa- yes. gangways and movable shore power. Yeah,
20: both are interrelated with the, the gangway procurement and this uh, shore so, power. So community. then
4: I question, why is it that we have a 2025 goal to require shore power capable ships to add terminal 91? I mean, if, if you're shore power capable and we can provide the power, Why isn't it just a requirement that you'll use it given the fact they're going to save money on fuel anyway
20: some of the ships don't have shore power right now so you're talking about um they're planning to deploy shore power capable ships here um right now the um the requirement we have is by 2030 all ships will be shore power capable and we're having very productive discussions about accelerating that right now
4: no but i'm saying by 2025 we say if you are capable to plug in you will plug in yes why isn't that currently, or at least next year when everybody who can plug in yeah. can plug in. We do,
20: we do say that now. If your ship is shore power capable, you will plug in.
4: All right. So it just says in the yep. page two of the memo that that won't be called for until 2025. I thought that was the case too. Don't get me wrong. I, yeah. That was always my understanding, so I was a little dumbfounded when I saw this to be the case because it doesn't require yep. you to be shore power capable, but if okay. you are, and now the problem is no longer ours to get you the cable why isn't that just yeah.
20: a, a you requirement are, you are correct good catch on that if your ship is shore power capable we expect you to plug in now and, and by like, 2030 we expect ships to plug in
4: so that's like in the tariffs or whatever Yeah,
20: that is in the tariff the 2030 date
4: so cool i caught two mistakes so far right let me see <laughs> if i can keep on no um that's i think that covers it the the only question like the other one one can see this is sort of like a crane like the analogy for uh, seaport alliance right the the tenant pays for the crane like or the gangway could be seen as the crane for the humans but we we absorb these costs
20: Um, we we are buying the equipment when the ships arrive and plug in they they cover the costs of um, actually hiring the staff to do the plugging in and paying the electricity and did we work this out
4: with ILWU in terms of
20: who's doing the work at this point? Um, we have not had that discussion about these extensions. We've, um, But they are currently doing that at Terminal 91 with the fixed gender. All
0: right. Thank you. Any other questions? All right. Can I get a, a motion and a second for this item? So moved. I second. All right. Deputy Clerk Payne, please call the roll for the vote.
1: Thank you. Commissioner Fallon? Aye. Commissioner Hasegawa? Aye. Commissioner Muhammad? Aye. And Commissioner Cho? Aye. Has four ayes and zero nays for this item.
0: Excellent, the motion passes. All right, Deputy Clerk, please read the next item into the record, and the Executive Director will m- introduce it. Uh,
1: this is item 10D authorization for the Executive Director to advertise, award, and execute a major works construction contract to complete the redevelopment of the Terminal 91, verse 6 and 8 to utilize a project labor agreement. And to enter into agreements in support of completion of the work, including tribal agreements for Terminal 91 verse 6 and 8 redevelopment and additional stormwater treatment construction funding in the amount of $71,825,000 and a total estimated project cost of $76 million.
7: Commissioners, this project will redevelop the bursts and adjoining apron areas along the northeast side of Terminal 91. This new infrastructure will help ensure the long-term viability of the port as the home to the North Pacific fishing fleet. In addition, this project will also remove over 2,000 creosote piles from the waterway. And our presenters this afternoon are Kelly Goodwin, Senior Manager, Maritime Operations, and Mark Longridge, uh, Capital Project Manager. So I think, Kelly, turn it over to you first. Great, well,
23: thank you. Good afternoon, Commissioners, and thank you, Executive Director Metric. We're here to request. Uh, next slide, please. Here to request uh, construction authorization for just under seventy-two million dollars for the redevelopment of burst Six and Eight at Terminal Ninety-One. Next slide, please. I'm going to touch on the purpose and need for this project, and then Mark will share a little more detail about the project itself. Terminal Ninety-One is located at the north end of LA Bay. Burst Six and Eight reside in the northeast corner of Pier Ninety. The green box area on this slide shows the project location, approximately 65,000 square feet of risk space. These bursts are the last two berths requiring redevelopment from load-restricted, creosote soaked timber to modern, strong, pre-stressed concrete at this terminal. This project is crucial to anchoring the commercial fishing and supporting businesses in this region. The thing I love about Terminal 91 is how unique this property is in the port's portfolio. It's one of, if not the first property purchased by the port around 1911, and today it serves a multitude of uses vital to our harbor and our region. I think of it as a port within a port due to the sheer size of the property, approximately 200 acres, as well as the number of uses taking place here. No other property can boast that it serves as home to the North Pacific catcher processor fleet and accommodates two cruise ship berths at over 1,200 lineal feet each. And when not full with these vessels, accommodates research vessels, ships of state, tugs, barges, other maritime users, and has fish processing cold storage facilities on site as well. Next slide, please. This slide shows Terminal 91 in full swing. Here you can see just how congested and busy those pier aprons are when the fleet is alongside. Our project area is located at the top right corner of this slide, just south of the Magnolia Bridge. And the fishing fleet that calls Terminal 91 home fishes one of the best managed fisheries in the world with the smallest carbon footprint of almost any protein. The Wild Alaska Pollock Fishery is certified by both the responsible fisheries management and the marine stewardship council programs both of which are recognized by the global sustainable seafood initiative when the fleet is in port they rely on wide strong pier aprons to offload frozen fish fish meal roe, and fish oil this infrastructure is also vital to the network of maritime services requiring access to these ships to perform repairs, upgrades, and maintenance. Each of the commercial fishing vessels that moor at 91 employ 50 to 150 crew members, and these are F- US flagged vessels. The port's most recent economic impact study identified that in 2017, commercial fishing contributed 11,300 jobs to our state and 1.4 billion in business output. Additionally, the 2017 Fishing Vessel mortgage Analysis from S2 Strategy noted, quote, fishing and seafood processing sector of maritime industry as a whole has by far the largest revenue impact to the state of any maritime sector, and is at least equal in job production to the other sectors, unquote. The vendors and service providers serving these ships are local and provide family wage maritime industrial jobs in our region. For example, more than 20 welders and refrigeration craftspeople recently spent three months upgrading the refrigeration system on board the Vessel Excellence. And you can see her at the bottom right of this slide. Um, And that's not unique to that vessel. Um, That sort of activity is taking place on each of these vessels when they're in port. And important to note, too, is the commercial fishing industry continued to be stable and working throughout the COVID pandemic. Next slide, please. This is just a snapshot of our daily birth plan when the fleets import. And you can see that the only open, underutilized space of, is in the location of our project in the lower right corner. Next slide, please. So this fleet is modernizing, and our customers are investing millions of dollars to build brand new vessels and or modernize existing vessels. The bottom left picture of this slide shows a new build, or relatively new build, America's finest. And she's receiving finishing touches at Dakota Dakota Creek Shipyard in Anticordas, where she was built. And just today, this morning, the 328 foot brand new Arctic Fjord pulled into Terminal 91. And she's replacing the older 275 foot vessel. When we came to you for design authorization, the new Arctic Fjord was just a rendering as seen at the top right of this slide, and now she's a reality sitting alongside our pier. The new builds are larger than the vessels they're replacing, and this means that vessels that previously may have been able to moor at Fisherman's Terminal, or the MIC, are now too long and are looking to moor at Terminal 91. Fishing companies are also growing, for example, both Ocean Peace and O'Hara companies have added additional vessels to their fleet in the last five years and want to be at Terminal 91. Restoring existing load limited and partially condemned moorage facilities to their full capacity is the first step in meeting these needs. Demand for moorage continues to grow and this project responds to that demand. Redevelopment of burst six and eight is critical to ensuring the long-term viability of the port as a home to the North Pacific fishing fleet. So I'd now like to turn it over to uh, Capital Project Manager, Mark Longridge, and he'll discuss the details of the project. Uh,
24: Thanks, Kelly. Next slide, please. So as uh, Kelly mentioned, I'm Mark Longridge. I'm a Capital Project Manager here in the Waterfront Project Management Group. I'd like to tell you a little bit about our planned project work, uh, but first paint a better picture of the current facility and its condition. So the Berth 6 and 8 area of Pier 90, as Kelly mentioned, is the oldest remaining section of the original piers and its creosote timber pile construction. It was originally built as one of the first port facilities and had been updated over the decades, both in the 40s substantially when the Navy took over the facility, and most recently in about 1985. The pier structure has some significant deterioration and most of the facility is significantly load restriction, restricted with the balance being condemned. While we use the berths as lay berth facilities occasionally, they are not available as full berths for our customers to offload and service their vessels. Next slide, please. Having a closer look under the deck, we can see some of the deterioration of the facility and the tight spacing necessary for the older style of creosote timber pile supported pier on the right here. Each of our new precast piles will be substantially stronger than the existing timber piles and so will allow a much wider spacing of the piles and the pier bents underneath the pier. This means while we'll be removing over 2200 creosote piles, the new stronger pier will only need about 240 piles to support it. While not the primary goal of the work, the removal of these deteriorated concrete, sorry, deteriorated creosote piles from the water column will be a significant environmental benefit from our work as well. Next slide. Here we can see a cross section of the proposed pier, including those precast piles and deck panels that I mentioned. Our work will also reshape the slope along the berth and replace the existing rock with a thick layer of protective riprap and a layer of fish rock to improve both its stability and the habitat of the berth. While this project does not include any significant berth deepening, we are dredging some areas to reinforce the toe of the slope, as you can see here in the yellow cross section. All of these load-bearing piles that we're gonna use uh, in the new facility will need to be impact-driven and proofed within our permit window. And we've been, we have been and will keep working with our neighbors, including the Queen Anne and Magnolia Neighborhood Advisory Council, or NAC, to keep them up-to-date on the project and minimize any potential impacts from the construction, including construction noise. In our design effort for the pier, we discovered that to meet the current seismic code, our work needed to extend behind the seawall on the left of this slide and include significant ground improvements to stiffen up the soil in that area also. Next slide. This expanded our scope of the project to include replacement of a collection of mobile buildings on and behind the apron, including both tenant and port operation spaces. And that provided some more sustainability opportunities in completing our work as well. Our plans include replacing the six existing buildings on site now with two consolidated ones for tenant and port staff respectively. We plan to include solar uh, PV panel arrays on the port occupied building that are sized to cover the annual electric needs of that building. We've also included an innovative sanitary sewer connection system for vessels using the berth and have been working with our fleet managers to include extra electric vehicle charging spaces to support their efforts as well. Working with the stormwater staff, uh, we identified an additional 100,000 square feet of terminal area outside of our affected project area that we can provide treatment for by adding additional vaults under our contract work. And so we're taking advantage of that opportunity also. And as I mentioned, the removal of the deteriorated creosote dock provides the largest environmental benefit of our work by far. Next slide. Looking at our project schedule, we're currently putting the finishing touches on our design ready to bid package and waiting for final federal and city permits before advertising the contract. Our hope is to advertise as soon as possible and execute the contract towards the end of this year. This will help our selected contractor procure the long lead items that they need, such as precast and electrical components to be ready to start the work and in particular be ready for the in-water work window opening in August of 2024, which you can see on this schedule. Our construction construction schedule is aggressive to get the facility completed and online as soon as possible, and the current schedule has the work completing in the third quarter of 2025. Next slide, please. As you know, no capital project is without risk, as this cone of uncertainty that you're familiar with shows. While we continue to get more certainty in the work as we progress to the right, there's still significant amount of uncertainty to our work. We continue to see a volatile construction market, escalating prices and long lead items for critical project elements. Next slide. In light of this, in our design effort, we performed a comprehensive risk analysis of the project at several stages in the design to identify, quantify, and potentially mitigate project risks as much as possible. As you can see in this table, though, there are still risks we're facing, and we will continue to monitor and mitigate these. Next slide. So as Kelly mentioned in her remarks, we're coming to you today for the full construction authorization of just under $72 million to advertise, award, and complete this work under a project total of $76 million. With your approval today, we'll be able to complete our design and permitting efforts, advertise the work and and complete the work to modernize the last remaining piece of one of our key industrial terminals. Next slide. And with that, we'd be happy to take any questions you might
0: have. Great, any questions for staff? Thank you for the presentation. Yeah, Commissioner Mohammed
3: first of all
5: i just want to say thank you for the the presentation we are proud of the history of terminal 91 and our fishing fleet and so i really do appreciate the important work that you all are doing um i do have two questions um one is is any of the portion of the funding that is being asked um, will be considered for any sort of grant funding Is, is is any of this project eligible for that and if so you share a a breakdown of that?
23: I see Director Lyles came on, but I was going to respond. We are looking at uh, grant opportunities if they're available through our external relations and government uh, relations staff, and if anything is available, we'll
5: certainly work to take advantage of that. Okay, Um, and then My other question is, is could you elaborate just a little bit on um, the, the reasons behind the increase in the total project estimate? Um, How much of that is supply chain issues? Could someone share just a little more information on that?
24: Absolutely. So, at a planning level estimate, when we came for design, the project was significantly uh, lower cost. That's part of that cone of uncertainty. The major changes that we've seen are some expansion of scope. Like I said, to meet the current seismic code, we had to expand the project beyond just the pier replacement and include some uh, deep soil mixing and soil stabilization behind the pier, which then means we need to move the buildings out of the way to be able to do that. So we're getting more scope than we originally planned. We will get refreshed facilities for the port and for tenant uh, uh, operators and, and users of the facility. Um, so we have a little bit more scope, but we've also seen historic escalation um, and and some really uh, big changes since we came to you, I think, in 2019 uh, for the initial one. And so that's incorporated in there. In our current estimate, we do have a significant amount of contingency. We've escalated these costs. We see that volatility in the market, but we're trying to get the best cost that we can, and that's why we see the higher price.
5: How does that information come back to the public when some of that is sorted out?
24: I'm not sure i understand your question it,
5: just with the, the the estimate estimated cost I and mean, i guess they'll come back to commission for approval
24: right uh correct this is this is the funding for the um entire so we've carried this project at a total of 70 million dollars in the last two annual budgets um, and it's now at 76 million dollars would be the project total for this cost um, the details of our estimate We want to make sure that we can certainly share those with you. We want to be careful to not show our cards uh, for potential bidders, too, and and spoil that
5: surprise. That makes sense. Thank you for those answers.
0: All
4: right. Hearing no further – go ahead, Fred. Yes, Commissioner Fred, to you. I Thank you so much. You know, it's an enormous sum of money that um, we need to spend to preserve our assets if we're going to be a port So I'm fully in support of the idea the fact that we're getting rid of creosote all that good stuff More stormwater than we need. Thank you. It's all it's all good um, So why'd we let it go so long? Well, how are, we, how are we in a situation where we have a condemned dock?
24: so uh, I can only speak to that anecdotally, and starting this project, one of the tasks I tried to do was to find out how long this had been load-restricted or uh, condemned. Like I said, the last major work we saw was in 1985. I couldn't find anyone at the port who'd worked here long enough to be able to give me that answer. Um, so it has been in this condition for some time. It's been an item on the capital plan, uh, and I think you know, under consideration for a long time, but this is the first time that we've had it uh, get the The backing to be able to complete the design and do the the uh, complete the work. Um,
7: I I don't know. I don't know if that is a clear enough
24: answer.
4: No. Thank you for getting to it. It's an important asset.
7: Yeah, and I know also in our planning process over the years, I happen to be talking to some of the planners on this is that they looked at comparisons like investment return on investment in this versus things like acquiring other properties. So, I mean, there was a, a time when we were assessing is it worth the reinvestment here versus other other uses of the funds. I, I'm
4: sure the dilapidation occurred well before your tenure here. I mean, it's it's been, it's obviously been in, unattended to for some time. Um, you um, also... Commissioner?
25: Yes. Um, I'm sorry, I uh, had my hand raised. Uh, Kenny Lyles, Director of um, Operations uh, and security. Uh, I would like to, to highlight that uh, Mark Longridge, our, our project capital project manager, was the project manager over the southwest uh, portion of Pier 91. Uh, so it's not a, a case of, of overall neglect. We have been um, upgrading the infrastructure. We also uh, recently upgraded the north or the northwest pier fender system. So we are incrementally addressing uh, some of these uh, um, you know, end of life uh, portions of the dock. And, and Mark, you, you could probably add to that if you would like, but I wanted to make sure that we did include that as well. So thank you very much.
4: Thank you for that clarification. And I, I, I'm a fan of infrastructure. I want you to spend the money this is what we're here for. Um, and I didn't mean to point fingers there. Um, but one of the things you also are doing is uh, doing a pump out, right? You're talking about putting a, a pump out on the system. And is FOSS still not gonna... quite a
8: pump
23: out. It's a connection. So we're not quite sure right. how it's going to work yet.
4: But, but even, i mean, a, sorry, it's not a pump out. It's actually a connection to the sewer system. Correct. And better yet. Um, so, and, and will FOSS still be a tenant to the south? I mean, to the north? I saw that in that design it said tugs.
23: That's to be determined. We still need to uh, see how we'll accommodate everybody and have the highest use for those berths.
4: I I see. Well, I didn't really care whether it was FOSS or not, but I know that we're looking to have places for tugs to pump out, and to the degree that this berth would be able to be accessed by vessels in need of that service, which are mostly tugs. I was just wondering whether, or, so my question is, could we position a pump out, for lack of a better word, at a place that would be um, multiply accessible? You know, I'm just wondering if we're thinking about that because we do know the marine trade folks are, are asking us to look for capacity to do that. And I, I just don't know if that's kind of part of your scope of thinking.
23: It's, it's definitely on our mind as we look at our assets and uh, working with our planning team to see where we can meet the needs of of our maritime users. Um, how it will work with this facility we're not quite sure yet. Certainly it won't be a consistent access with the fishing vessels blocking access certain parts of the year but uh, when the fishing fleets out we'll see how these work and if we can make a mark for that.
4: And I, I would also encourage us or discourage us for defining the way in which the piles are going to be driven that we need piles of to be put in we have run into some challenges at the seaport alliance specifying we need to we should be calling for what needs to be done how it's done seems to be should be the responsibility of the contractor from a liability perspective i just suggest that we define the need and somebody else does the how
24: yeah, we, we do have, there is some flexibility within the contract, but to get our construction permit, we do have to provide the structural calculations that show the, the capacity of those piles and the, for the geotechnical um, conditions that we have. So, we can't perform and spec it too much, but we do provide, um, there is that flexibility within the
4: contracts. And finally, you're putting uh, solar on the roofs, this is like the fourth project I've seen, like this year that we're solarizing. There's been a long time since we've been describing solar. It's not cost-effective because it, uh, we have a low carbon uh, electrical grid already. What's the net benefit of doing that? I'm delighted I've always said that by reducing the demand on the grid, Obviously, you just saw on the paper, you know, with the melt of the gadget, we're not gonna, we're gonna be buying power from California. I think the more we take responsibility for generating our own electricity, I salute you for taking that initiative and thank you.
0: All right, hearing no further questions for this item, is there a motion and a second?
4: So moved. Second.
0: All right, the motion was made and seconded. Deputy Clerk, please call the roll for the vote.
1: Thank you. Commissioner fellman
0: Aye.
1: Commissioner Hasegawa? Aye. Commissioner Mohammed, aye. And Commissioner Cho, aye. There are four ayes and zero nays for this item.
0: Excellent. The motion passes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner, can I make one you. comment here yeah, as you finish?
7: Yeah, I just want to say that Kelly, you saw the one, uh, the one uh, um, slide there that showed the positioning of the vessels there. I just want to called uh, Kelly uh, Goodwin and her team about that is a thing. We just kind of went over that really quickly. That's something they do continuously defined as more and more demands for larger and larger ships that that is something that the team does an excellent job on and they don't get a chance to always talk about that here. So I just want to give them a shout out. Great.
0: Thank
5: you.
0: Thank you for that. You so All right. Deputy Clerk uh, Payne, please read the next item into the record and Executive Director will then introduce them.
1: Thank you. This is item 10E, authorization for the executive director to increase the contract value for the existing service contracts for custodial services at Seattle-Tacoma International Airport by $54,300,000 for a new cumulative value of $149,300,000. To authorize the executive director to recompete and execute up to two five-year custodial service contracts to add waste removal services for the airport dining and retail tenants and to add the commission public health and safety initiative service, complimentary, uh, complimentary hygiene products at Seattle Tacoma International Airport.
7: <laughs> Commissioners, in uh, 2023, Seattle Tacoma International Airport was given the award of the cleanest airport in the United States by Skytrax SEA was only the second only second, only to Vancouver in North America in this regard. This honor is largely due to the aviation maintenance team and the services, service contracts we have for custodial services. The authorization will increase the value of the existing contract to reflect actual costs, add a new service to meet tenant needs, and add capacity to provide complimentary hygiene products to travelers and staff at the airport. And the presenters are this afternoon, Mike Tasker, Director of Aviation Maintenance, and uh gina kim senior manager aviation maintenance custodial services so i'll begin with you mike
26: thank you Uh, good afternoon commissioners and executive director metric i'm mike tasker director of aviation maintenance as was said i'm here with gina kim senior manager of aviation service contract management we're here today to request authorization for custodial services at the airport slide As was mentioned in the overview, there are multiple elements to the action requested and we'll go through them separately. Slide. The first element of the request is to increase the authorization for additional funding. We previously came to Commission in March of 2020 and asked for $95 million in authority for custodial services in up to four zones. To get us through 2026. This was before sending the proposals out for bid. When the proposals came back at nearly 135 million, we knew we'd return to Commission for additional authorization. This request is for an additional fifty-four point three million with a new total of 149.3 million. This takes the original shortfall in the original shortfall into account and adds for inflation and new elements of this request. Slide. After bringing up the zone concept on the previous slide, it may be good to provide a brief history on the zone concept. Prior to 2017, the airport was serviced by one custodial service provider. The zone concept was presented to enhance customer service, lose competition between contractors, increase WIMBY participation, leverage labor harmony, and create jobs with living wages. The number of contracted workers in 2017 was 165, and today it's almost double at 320. There are currently five zones. IAF was a zone five, you see there in purple, that was added in 2020. Zone one is the south side of the secure side of the airport. Zone two is the north side of the secure side of the airport to include central terminal. Zone three is the non-secure part of the terminal. And zone 4 is the non-public pace facing parts of the airport and airport properties, to include airport operation building. Slide. The second element is to recompete up to two custodial service contracts. One zone must be recompeted as a stun, and the other zone is at the end of its base term and could be recompeted These contracts are, ser- are performance-based. Slide. We use several elements to evaluate performance. We evaluate response times and completion of work. We leverage Maximo for tracking the data. Port staff performs biochi audits, which is a review of the spaces and evaluate their cleanliness. Training is performed with the staff to try to have consistency in evaluation. And there is an incentive for the contracts if they score greater than 80%, there is incentives for, for high levels of performance. Slide. Customers can also generate service requests at the restroom via Optico, which is leveraging technology, which is a QR code at the restroom entrance, or use a CSA app, which is a text or QR code that is provided on the restroom mirrors. Optico can also provide time from when the last cleaning and servicing of the restroom was accomplished. ACI or Airports Council International also performs inspections for the airport service quality quarterly restrooms play a big role in the airport service quality and as was mentioned we are proud to have been selected the best airport in North America in 2022 and 2023 cleanest airport in 2022 and we're second in 2023 slide the third element of this request has a lot of interest you know from the, from here I believe in the, the Commission this third element is the request to implement the, the Commission public health and safety initiative this will provide hygiene products in the public restrooms at the airport in 2024 and going forward uh, slide please the fourth and last element of this request is to uh, provide contracting authority for airport dining and retail waste removal this is just a request for contracting authority, as the cost will be reimbursed by the tenants. The intent here is to mitigate waste contamination, FOD, increase environmental stewardship, efficiency, and customer experience. Sometimes they say uh, picture's worth a thousand words. If you look at the pictures on the slide, uh, you know this is what we can manage or deal with. You know, frequently at the airport, uh, and we believe we can address that by having a, a contracted service. Uh, slide, and with that, questions. Any questions? How's
0: the platform? It's actually a little stale. Any questions? Commissioner, how's it going?
2: Um I'm beside myself about this request. I've I um I did not know that SeaTac Airport was recognized as the cleanest airport in 2022 and the second cleanest in 2023. Hygiene um, and making sure that we're promoting public health is a core component of what we do um, to maximize the customer experience, but also make sure that we have optimal workforce conditions for our thousands of employees at SEA. Um, We are more than tripling, well, not more than, we're almost tripling the contract. Or the investment that we're making into hygiene at SeaTac Airport, um, including new contracts as well as um, an ability to implement the commission initiative um, to uh, make available uh, period products to the public and to the workers for free. Uh, You know, this is. Uh, this is um, an actually a a very I think socially speaking a huge step forward and what we're able to do today collectively at the Port of Seattle and it's been a long time coming for years thank you so much to the Port of Seattle staff and thank you so much to my colleagues upon the Commission um, for providing uh, the guidance and the support in order to bring us to where we are today I wholeheartedly look forward um to um to, to supporting this
0: great thank you commissioner how's it go? any other questions oh, real quickly is it I, I had heard that there was a budget shortfall for 2023 and is that covered in this
26: Yeah, we can get through 2023 and get to early 2024 out of the authorization we have budget it's the authority that we're going to run out of early next year if this isn't approved
0: Okay, so um, the current contractors that we have on for custodial services will at the very least see out the rest of the remainder of the year. Yes. And that's not necessarily impacted by this. And so in 2024, you may or may not rebid those custodial contracts or choose to execute on the one-year, is it the one-year options or how? We
26: we have one-year options, so there's a base contract or two years, so one contract needs to be rebid, Zone 3, and the other one is up for, the base bid is over, and then we can evaluate the performance and have the ability to uh, re-compete. It doesn't mean we will, but we'd like an opportunity, you know, with the authorization to re-compete.
0: Okay. And zone three is not is different from the new zone three or are those the same
26: zone three is the the same one there it's just oh. it's it's up for for competition oh I see
0: I see I was looking at this and there was two zones got it right. okay all right um, seeing so, you no know, further questions is there a motion in a second so moved so, great uh, clerk please call the
4: roll
1: thank you uh, Commissioner Feleman aye Commissioner Hasegawa aye Commissioner Mohammed, Aye. And Commissioner Cho? Aye. There's four ayes and zero nays for this item.
0: Thank you. The motion passes. Thanks, team. Appreciate it. All right. Moving on in the agenda. Um, commission, uh, Clerk Payne, please go ahead and read the next item into the record, and executive director will introduce it.
1: Thank you, this is item 10F, authorization for the executive director to advertise, award, and execute a major works construction contract utilizing a project labor agreement to enable construction of a package of improvements to the Fisherman's Terminal, including the renovation of the Ship supply building into the Maritime Innovation Center and a set of public space improvements to Fisherman's Terminal for a total amount requested of $27,415,415 and a total project authorization of $32,600,000.
7: Commissioners, I'm pleased to introduce this item authorizing the construction of the Maritime Innovation Center and other improvements to Fisherman's Terminal today. The investment in the Maritime Innovation Center is an example of our port-wide commitment to innovation and entrepreneurship. With the Maritime Innovation Center, or the MIC, we take the oldest building at Fisherman's Terminal and make it, make it new with a cutting edge design that fully reveals the hundred year old beams inside as well as the living building standard sustainability improvements. This project takes a humble and industrial building and remakes it for a new era. Uh, it, this investment is an embodiment of our positive and future-focused outlook on the maritime industries. It takes those uh, past our legacy programs and takes them into the future in uh, driving into the new blue, uh, newer blue economy. This auth- authorization also includes a package of public space improvements, which include art, signage, wayfinding, landscaping, and new interpretive signage at Fisherman's Terminal. The presenters are this afternoon: David McFadden, Managing Director, Economic Development Division, Carol. Least, director of real estate development and economic development and Kelly Parnell a capital project manager for waterfront and so with that I'll turn over to David that thank you
25: good afternoon commissioners and executive director metric we're pleased to be here today I'm not sure with this project that we're at the top of the mountain and um, but I can I think we can certainly see the summit and that is exciting we're seeking your on let's go to the next slide please we're seeking your authorization to rebuild the historic ship supply building and transform it into a state-of-the-art modern maritime innovation center we're also seeking authorization to develop wayfinding signage and interpretive displays that will complement our renovations at Fisherman's Terminal and help the store help tell the story behind this living legacy this facility will be a spark that ignites innovation within the in maritime industry and this spark will grow into a fire that helps sustain this vital industry into the future the roi on this facility cannot be measured in rent alone the maritime innovation center is more than a building it's the heart of a new network supporting maritime entrepreneurs This facility over time will help hundreds of entrepreneurs and ideas move forward that help sustain the port and our maritime industry. It will also advance workforce development, acting as a center of discovery for kids curious about careers in the maritime industry. Let's go to the next slide. Next slide. Our journey really on this project, as Joshua mentioned, began seven years ago as we were finalizing a new strategic plan at Fisherman's Terminal. As this plan was getting finalized, we envisioned creating a maritime incubator at Fisherman's Terminal. We then saw an opportunity to redevelop the ship supply building into this facility. The seed was planted at this point, but we have had to do tremendous work to bring this project to fruition. Over the past seven years, we've completed feasibility studies, written business plans, engaged countless maritime and community stakeholders, built a relationship with Maritime Blue, spawned a new maritime accelerator program, and done tremendous design work to make this facility uniquely sustainable. Let's go to the next slide. We were further spurred to action when one of our studies showed that there were over 60 incubator and accelerator programs in the Seattle region, but none of them were focused on maritime. During this time, we discovered a couple bright local maritime entrepreneurs that had flown halfway around the world to attend the Port of Rotterdam's accelerator program. One of those firms indicated that they had started in a Seattle accelerator, but got discouraged when program directors told them to shift their focus from maritime to healthcare. Now, years later we've shown that if we build this facility that will will indeed attract the entrepreneurs and experts alike that can drive success within the maritime industry this is a huge stride it's an exciting day and again I want to thank you as the port Commissioners we've uh, appreciated your support but also your questions and drive uh, to dig deeper on this project but also want to commend port staff maritime blue and numerous stakeholders for getting us to this point and at this point what I'd like to do is turn it over to my associates Kira Lees and Kelly Purnell who will go over key project details
27: Thank You Dave and Thank You Commissioners it is a real pleasure to be here with you and present this project for your approval Before I begin, uh, I too want to acknowledge that between myself and uh, Project Manager Purnell, we represent just two of the countless hands and hearts from across the port over the last seven years that have been part of the project team to deliver this set of projects. First in the effort to develop a comprehensive vision and plan for Fisherman's Terminal and then taking the steps to set a design framework that has yielded the projects we're here today to discuss. The Maritime Innovation Center, purpose-built for the maritime industry, and showcasing our commitment to the future of the people who make up Fisherman's Terminal and the maritime industry. So let me go over a few elements of design and construction of this amazing project. Next slide, please. The ship's supply building has been at this spot on the docks of FT for 105 years. The key principle of our design approach is that the footprint and envelope of this building will remain just where it's been for all of those 105 years. The building will be completely renovated using existing beams and including new glass exterior doors and windows to enhance the uh, transparency, incorporate natural light and fresh air, one of the elements that's required as part of Living Building Challenge certification. We are incorporating an exciting design gesture, the 105-year-old wood beams in our final design with the addition of steel beams to support seismic engineering requirements of a contemporary project. The significant challenges of design are in the foundation system, poor soil conditions, and the fact that the building is supported on piles, which themselves are from a century ago, and the fact that in order to replace the piles, we need to basically pick the building up and put it in the parking lot next to it while we fix the piles. That just outlines just one of the many challenges we faced in a design on the existing footprint to a contemporary standard. Next slide, please. Construction will be complicated. And a bit later in this presentation, Kelly will discuss how we've worked through and planned for some some of those complications we've anticipated and mitigated the risks. Construction will commence with abatement of regulated materials in the existing structure and some selective demolition in the interior, taking care to protect those timber structures which will be preserved in the final product. The foundation system, namely the new structural piles that the building foundation will eventually rest on, will take particular care during the construction period after which the building will be fully rehabilitated, first with our work on core and shell, and then finally with tenant improvements to support Maritime Blue. It Includes new utility service, new building perimeter and parking. It sounds straightforward, but it's not. Um, We have been talking to potential general contractors about this project ahead of building to confirm our assumptions in a pre-bid environment. Just one step we are taking to reduce risk overall. And again, Kelly will talk more about our risk management approach when she makes her budget comments a bit later. Next slide, please. As you've heard, uh, the sustainability approach in our design is to achieve living building standards certification in this project. Many of you have worked with LEED and other certifications that set green building standards in the U.S. The Living Futures Institute developed LBC standards which significantly works with biophilic design principles or the practice of reconnecting people and nature within the built environment. Biophilic design involves translating elements derived from nature into design outcomes and ultimately improve the health and well-being of occupants and foster a connection to nature. Nonetheless, the port's Sustainable Evaluation Framework selected Maritime Innovation Center as a pilot project for our sustainability policy. And we work closely with the environmental team to look at options in the building design in light of our desire to be the greenest port in North America. As you see in this graphic, which many of you have seen many times, there are many facets to this construction that advance our priorities around sustainability. Some things most are familiar with: photovoltaic panels, ground-source heat exchange, the treatment of wastewater on site. In addition, there are red list materials that will be prohibited in construction. The project is net positive for energy, and with our salvage approach, reduce carbon emissions and carbon capture over the life of the operating facility. Unlike some of the more technical provisos in the LVC framework. LBC also also requires heightened equity commitments for design and engagement in construction and in terms of the workforce contracted for this project among many other requirements. Next slide, please. The Maritime Innovation Center and the surrounding public project also includes art. Working with the art team, Tommy Gregory and Annabelle Gojevic, who solicited artists to work with the project team, we're ha- happy to be working with local artists Shogo Oda and Ty Juvenel. These sketches are the preliminary concepts they've provided, will be incorporated as permanent features into the final design, with the likelihood that Mr. Oda's uh, graphic uh, will be incorporated onto the exterior of Netshed 3, while Ty's piece will be on the make itself. Next slide, please. In addition to construction of the Maritime Innovation Center, we have this set of public space improvements designed to enhance the public experience of Fisherman's Terminal and provide significant updates to wayfinding signage, landscaping, and an update and overhaul of, all of the existing interpretive signage program at Fisherman's Terminal. Next slide, please. The slide gives you just an overview of where the site improvement project locations are at FT. Um, and we'll be generally speaking at the scale of a pedestrian oriented set of improvements at, um, with enhanced ADA compliance as well. Next slide, please. As part of our commitment to equity and community engagement we also took the opportunity this project represented to update the content of interpretive signage at ft to complement the new more engaging signage design last year working with a team from oedi and external relations and consulting with headwater people uh, to ensure we have a strong awareness of the native experience in our uh, Place here. We hired a public historian, Sharon Boswell, and engaged a panel of fishers and professionals from a number of cultural institutions uh, to advise us on the project, including the Nordic Heritage Center, Mohai, Burke Museum, um, that all helped Sharon to develop new contemporary content for this history recounted in these panels. The result will be a more complete and comprehensive appreciation of the communities and people of FT, as well as the industries and experience that have made Fisherman's Terminal central to the history of Puget Sound and the livelihood of fishers throughout the region for over 100 years. Next slide, please. This um, outline is just one way that we are looking at the past in these panels, highlighting both heritage and ecology, industry, and community history. Even looking at things like boat types and fishing species that have been important at FT. Now I want to turn the presentation over to project manager Kelly Purnell, who will walk you through our budgets for this project and its important risk mitigation aspects of our financial approach. Um, I do want to remind folks that the Department of Commerce uh, gave $5 million to the construction of this project, so that will also be part of the um, funds for the project. Kelly. All right. I'm not sure if this one is working. because I
21: steal that one? Thank you. Next slide. As you can see, our estimated total project costs for the Maritime Innovation Center are $29.4 million. I provided a breakdown here for you to look at. Um, I would also like to um, speak a little bit more to the construction mitigation costs that you see in line two there. So if you go to the next slide, please. I provided a breakdown of the contingencies that we have allocated for this project. We call them extraordinary risk mitigation uh, costs because they are somewhat above and beyond what we would usually carry. Um, As Kira discussed earlier on slide seven, uh, for reference, we have significant proposed building improvements for the Maritime uh, Innovation Center as well as challenges, as the building is over 100 years old. Uh, We have abatement of regulated materials which we've done extensive survey of the building and have identified most of the regulated materials, but there is a possibility that we'll find more. Um, currently, we have uh, port construction services scheduled to abate most of it in advance, so we should know um, early on. Um, as Kira mentioned as well, we, the timber framing is original. It's old growth wood that is both structural as well as providing rustic a- aesthetic components to the building. The timber framing will be heavily reinforced with modern steel framing um, that will enhance the structural stability of the building. The timber framing will also uh, help to preserve the original historic character of the building, and it ties to the living building challenge and for using original materials. It also ties directly uh, to one of our most important features of the project, uh, in, which is the new deep-driven steel pile foundation for the building. This is necessary to seismically stabilize the building due to the liquefiable soils located at the site. It also carries some of the the largest risk in that we must move the building. I mentioned these specific components of the project scope because a great deal of work has gone into identifying risks associated with renovating this historic building. During the project design phase, we held two intensive risk analysis workshops. These analyses and subsequent statistical modeling have allowed us to better understand that this particular project has significant risk with potentially large costs and schedule impacts. We also held many individual contract information sessions, as Kira mentioned, which further highlighted known and unknown challenges that we needed to address. Some of these risks are known, but unable to be fully quantified until construction is underway. As Kira discussed earlier, whoops, sorry, <laughs> As is the case with many port waterfront properties, the soils at Fisherman's Terminal are of poor quality due to old fill on top of tides. We have done many advanced studies uh, for the foundation analysis, environmental considerations, hazardous materials, and constructability. These have informed how we will address our risks, but we need to know that we need to be prepared for the unknown. Additionally, the project is operationally constrained, both in our lack of physical space and day-to-day and seasonal operations for the commercial fishing fleet. Therefore, we have structured our construction budget with enhanced contingencies to account for the impactful potential, a risk potential on this project. We're carrying an additional 10% above our typical and our contingency funding. We are carrying extra funding for hazardous material removal above and beyond that which is currently identified in case they are found during the demolition. We are also carrying Funds set aside specifically for the contractor to use for site verification in advance of beginning construction to address issues that may arise after they have determined their best means and methods of the construction. And lastly, we are carrying additional funds for site-specific security given the high likelihood of break-ins and theft at the construction site. This will provide a port security guard during all non-construction hours. Next slide. Here's a continuation of our project cost estimates specific to our public site improvements component of the overall project, including the pedestrian, um, bike improvements, interpretive signage, public art, among others. Our next slide. Here's our overall schedule for the project. Currently, our project has finished our 100% design and we are putting the finishing touches on our bid set. Pending the issuance of our construction permit, which we anticipate this month. We intend to advertise the project at the end of August or early September with contract execution in November. We have a long submittal period, which we have set aside to be used for the contractor, both their submittals and for site verification. This is part of our risk mitigation strategy. Construction is anticipated to begin in May of 2024 with substantial completion in the quarter three of 2025. This will be followed by a 12-month living building challenge certification period and then close out next slide I open up the questions.
0: all right thank you questions from commissioners
4: all right commissioner fred well thanks so much what an exciting project and i've had the pleasure of snooping around inside the dusty building back with uh, Commissioner Steinbrook in the yes. day and we love the bones and uh, looking forward to seeing them, see them come back to life it's really a, a spectacular thing and, and the mission of the building is you know what's not to like having the chance to go to Norway a couple times and seeing these sort of innovation yeah. centers this is a, a great thing so clearly the ROI on something like this cannot be measured on something like whatever it's sixteen hundred dollars a square foot, um, nice, that's, that's going to take a little while to get back <laughs> in. Uh, um, and but you, you're saying you're assuming something like five hundred and fifty thousand a year uh, would be generated. In approximately, if that's what you're shooting for.
27: I'm not working on the income side of that yet.
8: That Fred,
25: I, mean? I don't believe we have arrived at a um, a price. Um, through any negotiations that we haven't started just, that just
4: uh, I, I saw something here there that's...
25: is maybe a note in the memo back under financial return that pegs income I I'm not sure we actually put that in there
4: I I pulled it from someplace but the um I mean it, with this pedal certification yes. I I would assume there's going to be some unanticipated O&M efforts to keep something like this innovative I I remember when the Bullet Center opened up originally, the the sanitation system wasn't exactly up to spec, so I was there for that, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) not specifically, but yeah.
27: Significantly smaller project, same architect, Miller Hall, and the service they've provided in guiding us through the elements of the LBC, very impressed with it. So they're on our side. I think they're here today um, to help walk us through some of that, um, you know, many features, their features, material to the project. There are also things like we need a community a garden element that we've got to locate. So there's a lot of unusual features in LVC in there.
4: Well, it's great that we have them to, a lot of has gone on since that building was built, so we'll have a, a lot of a lot lessons, of lessons learned, learned from that period of time. But, you know, the, the last time we were, as a commission fully briefed on this, I guess, it was in November 22, based on the, the, the briefing memo here. So, you know, i have several questions to ask it's not a reflection of my lack of interest in the project but i i didn't have a chance to some of the graphics i've seen here are new to me i mean so first time seeing them, it's, it's a it's an exciting thing i would just definitely want to ask a little bit more about one of the things that i know that's unique about the building is that it's within the shoreline and you can't build this height of a building this close to shore and and but it, it's not exactly a shoreline dependent use um so i'm just wondering it seems to me that we're going through some heroics slash expense to be able to put it back within the 200 foot zone correct and so i assume it's probably already like a 100 foot setback at least something like that
27: so you know the preservation of the footprint was a key design element of the project I, i mentioned it in our comments and it does protect the full building envelope as you suggest. Uh, we couldn't build such a building today even with the setback. So we uh, worked very very hard very assiduously to figure out how to make this work and, I, and I, in that footprint. And really the biggest challenge is those piles underneath that poor soil condition. Um, so most of our design ingenuity went into the foundation system. And i think i might have forgotten if you had a specific
5: question i'm gonna draw
4: oh so so setting the building back 200 feet couldn't wouldn't be. have well it wouldn't work because of
27: uh we would uh, not no longer kind of have the, the ground to do that in uh, i think the project was anticipated as um, I think we had a couple of choices in the early strategies, maybe just take the building down build a new building in its place. But the framework, literally, that envelope, that building envelope, so close to the edge of the dock, it was the ship supply building. Its former use was a chancellery. They were selling materials to uh, the fishers. Um, sort of like a department store for fishers, and we wanted that continuity of the project So it really wasn't seriously considered to move it back into the. Um,
4: All right, but you're, you're moving it into a parking lot and bringing it back to the site And so I was just wondering it's isn't it somewhat less heroic to go back a couple hundred feet rather than hauling an old rickety building across the way? I just don't understand why Needing to be in the water because if it wasn't in the footprint in the shoreline I'm just wondering wouldn't that have been a, a big cost savings
27: um, Conceivably uh, we looked at the permit from the standpoint of the shoreline Preservation and the opportunity to preserve the building so we didn't seriously consider moving it back for a cost differential All
4: right, so I mean again, it's not like we are launching a boat from it it's it's a uh, I, again, I, I haven't had a chance to really to dig into that. The, um, the, the, I guess the, one of the questions, I know the security is always a concern. I mean, talking about paying for a person, I assume we're going to put cameras up and things like this. Is that part of the...
21: Yeah, that's part of the standard, um, is to have uh, cameras, uh, fencing, um, that's all part of it. But the bigger concern that continued to come up um, during our risk mitigation conversations was that um, during the off-construction hours, so night times, weekends, whenever our our contractors weren't there, we only had a single security guard that patrols three properties. And Mm. so we had large gaps in when a security guard would be available um, and potentially would not be able to have a response in time to prevent any theft or break-ins or property damage. So um, ultimately what came out of those discussions was that we needed to provide a port uh, security guard and we can do it. Okay, in addition
4: port. to camera gear and all that other <laughs> fun stuff. All right, last question. As a member of the art board, this has been an evolving question about how we have the maritime and the aviation programs going together. I know it's a work in progress and this thing has been going on for a while. So I just have a couple of questions about this. So at a uh, $32 million for the estimated project cost at a one percent for art we have three hundred and twenty thousand dollars you see how i'm like that yeah, right? and um so so uh the actual art piece these in fact i think it's fantastic the uh, native artist is actually tulalip right so it's yeah. not just a tribal guy he's uh, like washingtonian linear. we love this um and the piece looks beautiful and it looks i think it would look really great on the blade of a propeller but anyway (laughs) other than that the um the you look at the shape it's beautiful (laughs) so um but tell me uh of the 320 is is that all going into the art program or is are we creating some fund or how is that working
21: yeah do you want to answer the the budget part yeah for the budget part of it so originally uh, because the budget has changed uh, the two contracts that we currently have right now is actually only for a hundred and forty seven thousand um, and then we've got another 50 that we've allocated for site improvements art so we have additional money that we can do something else with whether it's going into a fund or for additional art
25: yeah I think the only thing I'd add we could either do more art right at the mink or we could do it in an off on a other area of that if we'd like
4: so I, I'm you know it's just a question and so 140 of the 320 we know what we're doing
21: with plus plus the 50 for the additional site improvements
27: and we don't have a cost estimate yet for the installation fully right we've got
21: the concept drawings but they have got the concept fully. drawings but the contract itself is 147 yeah.
4: so, so that would be inclusive so so and this 50 million this is I, I was told it's sort of like a, a different sum is this like something that has to be spent this year is that what Is there anything, or is it all from the same 1% pot?
27: I think that that I understand, well, maybe Dave should answer this one, but you have the 1% that is derived from a capital project that's available to spend on art. We put an RFP out to get the arts uh, component that we do. We've got another RFI out on the public space improvement art, so there will be... Uh, that to come along.
4: Okay, so can I believe you the opportunity to
27: exists to put the rest of the balance into the our pool.
4: What is what is the what is that difference between what is the fifty thousand? You said public the 50, 000, space fifty
27: thousand. So we have the two aspects of this project. We have the construction of the Maritime Innovation Center, one capital project, and then we have the public space improvements. The signage and landscaping and so forth, that's large enough for a 1% for art investment as well. So that's got a complement of art.
4: So so that art would be separate from the actual signage, but part Somehow of the. Somehow
27: related to in,
4: it. Integrated into the walkways and so That's stuff. right.
27: You're exactly Fantastic. right. Fantastic. Look forward about to having this. love and
4: things like Look forward that. to having the further conversation with the art board and all that as this evolves. Very exciting project. Looking forward to seeing it breaking ground. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you. Any other questions from
0: commissioners? I have a really quick question. Does this project, and I'm not talking about during construction, but in general, affect the operability and/or functionality of Fisherman's Terminal?
27: Exceptionally good question. Um, So we have taken pains to um, develop a communication strategy with an external consultant and involving our entire operating team to some extent to make sure that we understand the complement of operating, um, not only the operations of Fisherman's Terminal, but construction projects and significantly events. Um, You know, we have the homecoming of the fleet. We've got the fall festival. We've got a number of other community events that we don't want to... Um, not do. So we've got a comprehensive communication strategy working with the external relations team and our outside consultant to make sure that everybody is informed of the schedules, if there's delays, emergencies, and so forth, just really to protect the integrity of the operating paradigm at Fisherman's Terminal during construction.
0: Great, and I, and I appreciate that and I think I know, I think you know where that line of qu- that question came from. I think there's a lot of concern from those who work in the industry over this project. They, they work within constraint environments To begin with, and then for us to make a huge investment in a real estate property that's not arguably being used for you know uh, fishing or commercial fishing activities is a concern to the community. So I
4: appreciate that you've thought of that and have a communication strategy and plan. So, with that, yeah so the other the other discussion was always about uh, community gathering space and whether or not this building would be able to serve the community at the Fisherman's Terminal in addition to the innovators from around the world and from what I remember Dave you telling me and I think this is a really important part of the, the story that you're also looking at developing the right. the Nordy Center that's right And so could you just, because I think that's important for folks to hear as well. I I really don't think that's relevant to this project. And so it's directly relevant because we're taking away potential space.
25: That would be your make it quick, Dave, please. yeah sure the mink the maritime innovation center will be available for um, meetings that are focused on the industry maritime industry fishing industry so yes it is available um, and what fred's really alluding to is also as we develop mink we are doubling the size of the nordby conference room so we're actually providing more resources for folks that want to get together than we've had even before we started the mink
0: can I get a motion in a second on this item please
4: so moved. second all right
0: clerk Payne. please go ahead and call the rule
1: thank you Commissioner Feleman aye Commissioner Hasegawa aye Commissioner Mohammed aye and Commissioner Cho aye there are four eyes and zero nays for this item
0: excellent the motion passes thank you very much all right. moving uh that take care of all our new business moving on to item 11 presentations and staff reports deputy cook Payne, please read the next item into the record and executive director metric will then introduce it
1: thank you this is item 11a q2 2023 financial performance briefing
7: commissioners i'm happy to report that the 2023 financial performance results for the first half of the year were strong Uh, SEA passenger volumes continue to rebound and are expected to be 8.8% higher than 2022 and 3.4% lower than pre-pandemic volumes in 2019. Airport non-aeronautical revenues are performing better than the budget. We expect another robust year for our cruise business with a projected 287 sailings and a record 1.4 million revenue passengers. As a reminder, each home ported vessel brings in over $4 million to the local economy while our grain terminal and conference center are performing below budget our projections, our fishing, commercial, and recreational marinas and maritime portfolio are expected to exceed revenue targets this year. Overall, we expect strong financial performance results for the year, which sets us up nicely as we build the budget towards 2024. While our performance is strong, I want to reiterate my message from previous budget discussions about the need to be fiscally uh, responsible or fiscally uh, strategic in what we're doing. Although we have benefited greatly from a strong recovery of travel and tourism over the past several years post-COVID there's significant uncertainty on the horizon particularly related to planning for costs related to environmental remediation and of course uh, uh, inflation so uh, this presenting this afternoon we have Dan Thomas chief financial officer and uh, uh, Robert uh, Jacopetti aviation grants program manager so with that I turn over to you Dan
22: Thank you, Steve, and good afternoon, Commissioners. We we'll also have Michael Tong. Oh, and Kelly yeah, Zupan see Michael will be joining Tong. us as well. I'm just yeah. going to kick off also with just a few highlights. Uh, Steve mentioned a few of the operating <clears throat> and financial highlights for the year. Um, but just wanted to note, you know, one thing that's on this first slide is uh, at this point th- uh, through second quarter, operating expenses are nearly $16 million below budget, um, and uh, through second quarter, and are expected to be $5 million under budget by year end. We'll hi- highlight some more of that during the presentation. And on the revenue side, um, through second quarter, revenues are $8.3 million over budget, and by year end, are forecasted to be $18 million over budget. So again, we're forecasting pretty strong performance for the for the year and importantly on the capital spending side we are now forecasting for the year to spend just over 500 million dollars and that represents 93.5 percent of the budget for this year and that really is noteworthy because our normal uh, completion rate of the spending rate is tends to be some, sometimes in the 70 to 80 percent range so 93.5 percent is really really good and we're hoping that can hold. Uh, throughout the end of the, through the end of the year, uh, you also have a full report in your packet, the uh, multi-page uh, detailed financial report. Just to mention that, and with that, I'll turn it over to Robert to highlight the
28: uh, airport performance. Thank you, Dan. Uh, commissioners, thank you very much. I'm here on behalf of Heidi Papachuk to present the Aviation Division's uh, Q2 financial results. Um, this might move uh, along more swiftly if I just remind you really quickly of our, our key performance, uh, our goals, which is year-end cash balance, debt service coverage, uh, coming in on or slightly under budget, and improving the airport's NOI, and I'm happy to report that we are on target to meet all of those. Next slide, please. Okay, hey, this uh, this this chart. I want you to focus on the right here, which has the uh, passengers in millions. And uh, we're we're clawing our way back to 2019 levels. If you look at the bottom row there, the 20 the 2023 forecast is 50 million annual passengers, uh, which is only 3.4 percent lower than 2019, our sort of baseline. And um, and we're optimistic that by 2024 we'll we'll be back. Uh, as you know uh, passenger growth is key to our non-aero revenue and which is which is key to our NOI so on the next slide uh, you will see right in the revenue section under non aeronautic revenue uh, we are we are better than budget by 21 million dollars so we're quite pleased about that take us towards our goal and if you look at our NOI, you can see we're $23 million uh, better than, uh, again, than budget. So, um, as turned, in, with regard to O&M expenses, we're coming in slightly under budget, which is good news. And, you know, as you know, the aeronautic revenues are cost recovery, so that's why those are down. Down below, we have our key measures, non-aero NOI. We just mentioned uh, CPE again better than budget and debt service coverage coming in better than we anticipated or budgeted next slide please so on our operating expenses uh, again coming in under budget uh, year-to-date 10.4 million uh, primarily driven by outside services one of the biggest drivers is our uh, some delays in some expense projects, uh, airline realignment being the most significant. Next slide. And our full year forecast is that we come in under 1.8 million. We don't wanna come in too low, it might mean that we didn't do something we promised. So this is our sweet spot, okay? Next slide. Okay, on aeronautic revenues, again, correlates highly with uh, with with operating expenses uh, we expect to come in uh, slightly under budget next slide Okay, this is and I'm, I'm moving quite quickly because I'm sure everyone's kind of tired uh, <laughs> non-air uh, the non-air revenue uh, growth uh, you can see uh, it's very very strong um, it's higher than higher than budget um, It's at $12.68 per employment, uh, which is actually stronger than uh, 2019, uh, $10.40 per employment. So we're doing really strong. Next slide. This breaks out that non-aeranalyc revenue a little bit more granularly, where you can see by uh, the various, uh, not cost centers, but revenue uh, centers. Uh, public parkings are strongest. Uh, we've discussed before. You know, the parking rate increase is, is primarily driving that. Okay. Next slide. Are there any questions on this slide? If I move forward, uh, we we'll for the, end. End. Okay. We'll wait for the end. Next slide, please. Okay. Here's our federal relief Doe summary. I'm, I'm sorry, grant summary. And so this hasn't changed from the last presentation. <laughs> I think we should make that the technical term? Yeah, federal Sorry about right, that. I like that. What well, I was thinking. Um, <laughs> all right. So debt service ratio uh, referenced earlier on. Uh, again, coming in better than budget. Um, you know, when when you when you take down the non non air excuse me non airline revenue increase, coming down down all the way to what we have available for debt service almost uh, $369 million, Uh, and then what our actual debt service is, $312 million, uh, you know, that leaves a cover ratio of of 2.04, which makes the investment community quite happy, so we are in very good financial condition. Uh, Next slide. Okay. Uh, Again, uh, referenced uh, up front regarding our cash balance being one of our key goals. Um, We are looking to come in. Uh, $11 million over our target. Next slide. And uh, the executive director uh, had mentioned uh, that we're doing really well, and uh on our, our capital spending. We are within 94% of budget. So we are getting, getting things accomplished. Okay. And that's all I have available for questions after the presentation.
0: Yeah, I think there's a question amongst all commissioners. When we talk about the revenues, what is the others category? Uh, it's, it's a pretty big chunk. I knew you would. Which slide are you on? Well, 10. We can start at 10. Yeah, I'm looking at the, uh, the yeah. briefing memo and that doesn't, all, it doesn't sure. specify. Okay. Slide 10. So I always it's the biggest problem.
25: Non-error.
28: Yeah. So that is, okay, so you have, in that bucket, you have our flight kitchen, which is uh, really strong. We have our clubs and lounges. Oh, I see. And uh, some commercial properties as well. Yeah. Those are some of the, some of the biggest buckets. So uh,
0: convert, also on the spending side, I think this is what you're getting. On the spending side, what is the others category?
28: on the spending side on slide 14. slide 14 let's see here this is uh this is the oh in the capital slide yeah um if you could jump to page or those are all outlined in the appendix on uh yeah page 49. 49 you said yeah Yeah, we we list out only those mega projects. It's a roll-up of
7: of all the projects, which is like, there's over a hundred, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I see,
28: yeah,
0: okay, any other questions on aviation? If not, we'll move on to C4. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you.
10: good afternoon commissioners we will now quickly run through the first half financial performance for the seaport at a high level including maritime and economic development divisions along with stormwater utility and our position in the joint venture with seaport Northwest Seaport Alliance we will go through nine slides answer any questions you may have if you want a deeper look at individual businesses or service groups there are a number of detailed slides in the appendix as well Next slide. This slide of key metrics really tells the first half of the story. As Executive Director Metric mentioned, we maintain excellent um, occupancy rates in crews and at our marinas, fishing, and commercial terminals. These were offset by some challenges pertaining to lower cargo, ve- cargo volumes at the Seaport Alliance and at the grain terminal. And next slide, please. Here is a roll-up of the seaport divisions. Our year-to-date net operating income is higher than budget by just under $7 million, but we are anticipating finishing the year closer to $3 million above budget as we often get an uptick in spending in the second half of the year. Uh, Next slide, please. Now we will walk through the individual divisions starting with maritime. We are planning to exceed our revenue budget by approximately 1.7 million dollars with cruise occupancy offset by lower first half demand in grain volumes w- from China. The fishing and the fishing and recreational marinas are performing well, particularly Terminal 91, as they have added several events including the return of the row auction which brought buyers from Asia to bid on Pollock skeins. We ex- expect to ramp up capital spending in the second half of the year as we move more projects into the construction stage Um, many were presented today additionally we saw over 2100 chum counted as a result of the habitat improvements at terminal 117 or the duwamish river people's park Uh, next slide please Year-to-date net operating income is uh, $3.7 million favorable to budget and 1.4 million um, better than 2022. The revenues are up 13% in 2023 from a, four point, from a 4.2 million increase in crews with growth in our fishing and commercial and marinas revenue offset by revenue in grain volumes. Expenses are up from 2022 by 9%, primarily from payroll and general inflation. Again, capital spending is expected to tick up in the second half of the year as more projects move to construction. Next slide, please. Stormwater utility is coming in as planned to budget. The maintenance, central service, and central services variances are a result of about $450,000 in expenses misapplied to the wrong category. Absent that, both are right on budget. Um, Next slide. Please stop me if I'm going too fast. Um, This is a breakdown of the Northwest Seaport Alliance operating results revenues are below budget by 3.8 million dollars driven by lower volumes with expenses lower than budget due to timing of maintenance projects and volume related cost they're forecasted to end of the year near budget these year-to-date operating income numbers netted to 64.3 million dollars coupled with 10.4 million dollars in depreciation amount to 53.8 million dollars the port gets um, 50% of this along with some non-operating items such as grants that feed into $28.9 million of distributable income you will see in the next, on the next slide. Next slide please. This, this slide shows the financial statement for our net stake in the joint venture, which includes that $28.9 million of distributable income from the Northwest Seaport Alliance, along with some revenues and expenses borne by the port related to Northwest Seaport Alliance license properties that are not included for the charter. The contour revenue is mostly related to the ports leasing one third of Terminal 46. Other revenues include higher tenant reimbursements for maintenance work and unbudgeted revenue from the Pacific Crane Maintenance Lease on the ports portion of Terminal 46. Expenses are tracking to budget absent that $426,000 T5 environmental expense. Um, next slide, please. And again, next slide. The next two slides are on the economic development division.
0: Hold on, let's, let's pause there. Any questions on uh, the
10: seaport stuff right now? Yeah, Commissioner Fred. Commissioner Fred.
4: So um, the, the stormwater utilities said was performing as expected, but it's down. I mean, I, I never, it's kind of fun that we get money from stormwater, but sure. minus 78% from 2022. That's what was expected back to that one.
10: that's uh, page 21 down I mean revenue is is a 1% and our expenses again I, I think I mentioned earlier we typically get an uptick in expenses in the second half of the year so we're still forecasting the budget on there okay
4: so change from 2022 after de- after depreciation was a change of minus seventy eight percent. is that what the lower right hand corner says?
10: Yeah, I mean, but that that number, if you look at it in real dollars, we're talking like two hundred thousand dollars overall. All right. Well. I, uh, all right. That's what the.
4: Okay. So. It's, all right. Um, the only other, other question was that I guess, yeah. it, I guess it went back to, I guess it was an aviation question. So I, I guess this this foundational thing I was talking about before sure. was that we have all the capital stuff lumped together, and then we have the different lines of business revenues separately reported, right? So when it comes to looking at crews, we don't really have what that net is.
10: Yeah, I actually did. Um, I actually did pull with that net net is um, so what we're planning for the year typically here Here's what our 23 we're forecasting 2023 to look like for cruise. We've got 38 million dollars approximately With 16 million dollars in expenses so you know then we would then say net operating income of 22 million dollars and then we have six additional million of capital so it really brings if you include all of our investments it would bring about 16 million dollars of funding to the port that can be used for other other items and it kind of compensates for some of our other fishing and
4: I think that's great I mean and you know it does float our boat so to speak and <laughs> sure. just I think it's important to understand though that when it's not all wrapped up I mean it it is compensating for other things and but the mm-hmm. net for it I think it's just good visibility so thank you for that sure and we
10: do show a lot of this in the, in the appendix with the net of depreciation as well so I just did talk about it so much in the divisional
0: portfolio. Thanks. Great. Thanks, Kelly. We can move on to Econ. Doug, on this, okay. there's questions. Nope. Okay.
10: Wait, did, was there another question? No, Pardon? there's not. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Thanks. Okay. Okay. So the, the next few slides are in the Economic Development Division. Um, they are tracking to budget with the exception of some unplanned um, quarter one conference and event center cancellations. The Bell Street Garage is returning to pre-pandemic levels. Um, Pier 66 elevators are at substantial uh, completion. We are moving into the construction phase for the Maritime Innovation Center and getting closer to construction at Terminal 91 Uplands. Next slide, please. The year-to-date operating income is uh, three quarters of a million favorable to budget and about 1.2 million higher than 2022. Despite the lower conference center volumes than planned, we're still over $800,000 in conference revenue higher than uh, 2022. And coupled with increased parking volumes are up in revenue 25% year over year. Expenses are up 5% from uh, 2022 with payroll and other inflationary increases offset by the tourism recovery initiative with Washington Tourism Alliance completion in April of last year. We are expected to spend about 95% of capital budget as we ramp up Terminal 91 Uplands, uh, World Trade Center West roof replacement, and Pier 69 um, under under dock utility work. And that does it for Seaport. Any questions? Great. Go ahead for Econde. So, yeah. so when you talk about conference center,
4: does that include um, uh, World Trade Center? Probably not, right?
10: Uh, yes, it, it is. It's mostly the Bell Harbor. I mean, there's some, but it there. does. Because, yeah. like, do do you have offhand you know our occupancy at at World Trade? The building.
4: Yeah. Um, well, just because you know I've been people tell me though well, why aren't you doing like you know putting innovators in that space if we have room there as well and is, yeah. is that do we know if that's like Dave's uh, left I guess so
10: yeah oh, I no, maybe get back to you on that oh,
4: one yeah. it's just a it's, mm-hmm. it's quality space I just know we haven't been able to rent it
26: all well,
25: uh, correct and um, I would like to come back and answer that question more accurately and give you a specific occupancy. I think the struggle has been with some of the waterfront construction, pandemic, impact on office. It's been a hard space to fill. And also the spaces we have are large. They're typically in the larger block of four to 5,000 square feet. We may need, I, I will consult with Jennifer to determine going forward whether we need to address or change any of the space characteristics in that building, but I know efforts are still made through our broker and through our staff to
4: try and fill those spaces. It's just such a great building. I'm just I'm surprised that it's so hard to sell and well maybe with the Elite Way taking care of some of the traffic, who knows. But it's it it seems like a bit of a time in the rough. All right. Commissioner
7: we can report back to all the committee commissioners on it.
0: All right, Central Services.
29: Good afternoon, Commissioner and Executive Director Metric. Um, In the next few slides, I'm going to walk through the essential services as well as the port wide uh, numbers for you. Uh, Next slide, please. So here's the uh, central service number. Um, for the year, we are expecting uh, uh, 244,000 um, operating revenues uh, fi- uh, above budget, and that's mainly because of the um, unbudgeted police for features revenue. On the expenses side, um, will come in, most departments will come in below budget, uh, and we expect uh, about $3 million below budget for the year. Um, on the right-hand side, a few um, business highlights. Uh, you can actually find a, uh, much more in the uh, uh, written report in your package. I am here to just want to highlight a few uh, for you. Um, the first one is the, uh, we have hosted the um, uh, Multiculture uh, Waterfront uh, Boat Tour for about 250 um, uh, community members. And second, one is that uh, we also hi- uh, hosted the annual NO South King County uh, Community Impact Fund, Empowerment and Job uh, Symposium uh, with about 150 attendees. Uh, last but not least, um, uh, the port completed the um, Equitable Spending and Accountability Project (ESAP) framework, and uh, we are using it as a pilot for the 2024 budget, and you will hear more in the next few months when we will finish the 2024 um, proposed budget, and we'll report those results to you. Um, Next slide, please. This chart uh, shows the 2023 20, uh, year-to-day central services expenses compared to those uh, in the past two years and to the budget. Uh, overall, the 2023 year-to-day um, operating expenses um, are $4.9 million below budget and due to lower payroll and the outside services. And 12.2 million, uh, higher than last year. Um, also, mainly because of higher payrolls, um, we have the number of new FTE and the um, pay increase um, that we have this year, and also more um, spending on the outside services. Um, next slide, please. So this chart uh, on the left uh, shows the year-to-day uh, budget variance. Um, and the the chart on the right-hand side, um, so where those uh, major variants came from. Um, So while the overall payrolls were 2.6 million, um, lower than the budget, uh, you are seeing a number of uh, uh, budget variants in uh, those three major category, um, salaries, uh, wages, and uh, charges to capital. um, so, one of the most uh, noticeable uh, budget variants came from the cap- uh, payroll charge to capital, as you can see from the um, blue line there it's about uh, 18 percent below budget. Um, the other one I would like to highlight here is the uh, outside services, uh, which is 2.8 million of about 15 percent under budget, so those are the uh, two major um, categories that you're uh, seeing a significant um, percentage in terms of the uh, budget variance here. So, uh, so these are the central service number. Um, if you don't have any question, I will go to the part-wide uh, numbers. But I'll pause it here. Yeah, Commissioner Fred has a question.
4: So um, I know we always ask these stupid questions about <laughs> central service because it's like some allocation of Pieces of everybody gets tucked in here and but so so when when I look at you know uh, legislation the staff incentivization the two to one bill matches you know straight up you know uh, public affairs related things so we're taking this uh, these are business highlights for essential so some portion of Pierce's time of other folks time is that's what it is so I see I knew the answer to the question but if, if, you, if you took all of these um, the, the, your highlights mm-hmm. um, and you know how much is all that really like, those are things that we are very proud of and things like that but it's probably a small piece of overall the budget for
29: central services isn't it that's probably true in terms of the, the budget amounts but the, you know the business highlight is more on the impact and some of the, the outreach that we engage the communities. right
4: so yeah. but if we if we just look at the you know, obviously police and engineering and core essential, these are the big ticket items. So I'm just, you know, these are, a lot of these are commission initiatives and important things to our communities and things like that. But I just would be interested to know in the context of the overall central services budget, mm-hmm. this seems like probably rounding error.
29: That's okay. probably true. Uh, a big part of that, we have several large departments, as you know, the police is the biggest one, but uh, also the ICT, you know, HR, and, you know, accounting, and, you know, a number of large system, departments, right? yeah, 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 that yeah. we are supporting for ideas. Yes.
7: Yeah, if I could just, sure. I think in the future, the, thanks for that feedback, I think we can look at well, what are the big budget drivers, the, you
29: know, the big, mm-hmm. uh, the big ones, we can reflect those. You know, so. And also, I would like to point yeah. out that in the report, you know, okay. there's a table that lists all those uh, by departments and uh, the budget amount, the actual spending amount, and the variances. Thank you. Great. So, all right, we can move on to Port-wide. OK, next slide. Okay, next one more, please. Um, so here's uh, the, um, the Port-wide numbers. Um, um, it's so uh, part by major category, the bull bar is the uh, nautical revenue and the light, is, uh, the green, uh, green bars, the um, long airport revenue, long uh, nautical airport, long nautical revenue, and the light blue is the long airport revenue. So you can see the three major components. And then red bus, the just the ex- operating expenses and the blue lines, the, um, the net operating incomes. So you can see from the chart here, um, basically we have a very strong recovery from the pandemic in the last couple of years and our act year-to-date actual also uh, performed better than uh, the budget. Um, so overall, uh, we are 8.3 million above budget uh, on the uh, revenue side, and then also on the expenses side, 15.7 million below budget. And the net operating income before depreciation was uh, four, uh, 24 million above budget, so uh, pretty strong So overall. Next slide, please. So for the full year, um, we are expecting $18.3 million above budget and mainly due to higher long aeronautical revenues and cruise revenue, um, and possibly offset by the lower aeronautical revenue at the airport and also the grain uh, volume of revenue there. Uh, on the expenses side, we're forecasting $5 million uh, below budget and into some uh, vacancies and uh, lower utilities and uh, third-party uh, management costs. Uh, net operating income before depreciation, uh, depreciation is uh, forecast to be $23 million above budget and $69 million, or um, about 20% above the 2022 um, level, so it's pretty good result for all. Um, next slide, please. Uh, last but not least just, uh, is the uh, port-wide capital spending number. Uh, we uh, spent about $194 million, uh, in the first half of the year, and we expect to spend about $506 uh, million, um, for the year. So these are the overall uh, port-wide um, summary, and then again, you can see the detail in the appendix, uh, in all this slide in the appendix, as well as the uh, written report in your package. So with that, happy to answer any further questions that you may have. Great, any questions
0: from commissioners? No? Any additional questions? Um, so just a quick question with uh, regards to, you know it seems like a lot of the savings that we're exhibiting, especially on the aviation side, is due to project delay. And so when it comes to year over year budgeting, do we just roll over or do we, I'm curious from an accounting standpoint, how do we, how do we uh, account for that? Um, uh, th- those savings, it's not really a
29: savings really, it's, it's more of a delay. Right. Yeah, if on the expense operating expense side, then we one year year by year. If it's on talking about the capital spending, then you, some of them you know have some true saving, but lots of them if it's because of delay, then we we'll obviously have to finish the project and vote it. So we
0: forward. would obviously yeah. account for that in
29: next year's budget. Yeah. Yeah.
7: Right, we would reflect that in the in, and that's why we go back to looking at and this is why the number there on the 95% uh, execution of the capital budget is very important for right. us. It gets us closer to our budgeted spending of doing that, but it also means we're delivering those key projects as well right. that we have in our capital plan and you're right God uh, uh, mr. president that, that that delays it you know it could be just sliding you're not yeah. there's not savings there it's just sliding within right. that.
0: okay all right thank you so much Michael thank Appreciate you it. all right that concludes our business meeting agenda for the day are there any closing comments this time at this time or motions relating to committee referrals for commissioners Commissioner Hasegawa <coughs>
2: Thank you. I know it's going to be um, a bit of a recess before we reconvene Mm -hmm. in public form as a commission in September. Um, I just wanted to introduce the idea to commissioners, members of the public, port staff, um, that um, of a a potential order coming forward to establish an ad hoc committee um, that will address specifically workforce conditions. Um, The purpose for me establishing, seeking to establish this sort of an ad hoc committee is to be able to advance in a streamlined fashion some of the priority items that we've been working on on an ad hoc basis. Um, uh, That includes the issue of childcare, which is an expressed priority by my colleagues upon the commission, as well as the ongoing um, challenge of addressing the needs for health care from some of our, from some of our, Um, airport workers as well. And so this would be a forum where uh, we'll be able to um, be able to receive regular and dependable updates as a committee reported out to the full commission on a regular basis and be able to provide input and guidance um, on these workforce conditions issues.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much for that, Commissioner Hazegawa. Uh, executive director metric any
4: closing comments oh yeah commissioner Feldman I just wanted to acknowledge this fantastic event we were at on the 30th at Alki when the uh, Muckleshoot pulled off a remarkable event of hundred plus canoes from all over the Northwest region landing in incredible timing and a fanfare incredibly organized event and uh, it was great for the port to be there in force and show our respects excellent thank you for being there on our behalf Executive Director Metric, any closing comments
0: today?
7: Oh, thanks, Commissioner. I know it was a long meeting, but uh, I think ending on the uh, just how we're performing uh, financially through the ha- half yeah. the year as we go into the budget season is great, and I appreciate your time on that. Thank you.
0: Excellent. Well, hearing no further comments or having no further business, if there's no objection, we are adjourned right before four o'clock, 3.58. Thank you all, appreciate it.
1: Thank you,
8: everyone.